Please welcome from ServiceNow Finance and Investor Relations, Jimmy Sexton. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jimmy Sexton. I work in investor relations here at ServiceNow, and we're super excited to have you guys here at our annual Financial Analyst Day and Knowledge 18. We think we have a great store uh, show in store for you today, and really the theme around today's event revolves around this concept of building an enduring company. You've heard us mention this term quite frequently over the last year or so, and we're excited to dig in a little bit and show you exactly what we mean. A couple of housekeeping items before we get started. First, we may make forward-looking statements. These statements may include risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. All of these risks, uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in our most recent 10K. Secondly, we'll be posting this deck uh, on our Investor Relations website following the close of the program. Now let's jump to the agenda. First, we have the opportunity to hear from our President and Chief Executive Officer, John Donahoe. He'll discuss purpose, strategy, and culture, and his priorities going forward to build ServiceNow into an enduring company. Second, you'll hear from our Chief Product Officer, CJ Desai. CJ runs product, technology, and operations for us. And he'll give you a look inside the product organization and how we're innovating and how he's viewing roadmap and development going forward. We'll then take a quick 20-minute break. And then after the break, we have the opportunity to hear from a great customer and partner, Deloitte. From Deloitte, we have Mr. Dan Slokar, partner in Global ServiceNow Alliance lead, and Deloitte's chief information officer, Mr. Stephen Mansfield. This will be a fireside chat moderated by our chief revenue officer, Mr. David Schneider. And then we get to hear from our chief financial officer, Mr. Michael Scarpelli. He'll come up, talk about our recent performance, how we're viewing the market opportunity going forward, and the initiatives that we're investing in to drive sustainable growth, and how these initiatives are impacting our financial model. Lastly, we'll invite the executives back on stage to host a, a Q&A session to, to close out the day. Um, quick reminder, following that Q&A, you can stick around for cocktails for about an hour, and we'll be mingling and answering any questions you may have. So with that, I'd like to invite up our President and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. John Donahoe. Great. Thanks, Mark. So um, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for coming out, uh, coming out today and for those that are going to stay for the week, coming out for the week. So I'm about 13 months in to ServiceNow. I think I stood here last year with my mindset, don't screw it up, as I said last year. This company had such positive momentum that it was a real uh, honor to be able to to join it. And over the last year, as I've said to you in various settings, I've been doing a lot of listening and a lot of learning, primarily to our customers, but to everyone around the ecosystem. We've also taken a lot of action and actually gotten a fair amount done this year, some of which show up in this year's results but a lot of which I view as putting the foundation in to get ready for several years of growth and success. And I thought I'd just start. We have uh, three members of our board of directors here, Paul Chamberlain, Sue Bostrom, and Ron Codd. Please raise your hands. Uh, how about giving them an applause? They're our board of directors. They represent our shareholders. I thought I'd just start with the, the slide I used with our board when I interviewed for this job. It was the first slide. I'd gotten to know Frank and Fred and, and a couple board members. And I was coming to interview, and I said, this, this was the first slide I used. I said, 
this would be my aspiration for ServiceNow if I were to join. And I want to make sure that it's what you, the board, want. My aspiration would be that we have an opportunity to build a great enduring company, a built-to-last company. Through the opportunity to be not just a leader in IT software, but the clear leader in enterprise software and be part of the generation of companies that redefine what enterprise software is. I know we're talking about $4 billion, but I'd want to have the ambition that we get to $15 billion in revenue. I know we're talking about we were $15 billion in market cap at the time. We want to talk about doubling it, but really our aspiration would be to be a $100 billion market cap company. If we're going to be a great enduring company, we need to be widely respected and admired by our customers, by our employees, by our alumni, by the communities in which we operate. And we have to great, be a great place to work. And I said simply to the board, if your aspiration is just to sell the company, please don't hire me because that's not why I would join. That's your right responsibility. Obviously, if you get an incredible offer for the company, we'd have to respond. But if your aspiration is this, I am all in. And I will tell you, Fred Luddy, starting with Fred and Frank and the entire board are all in for this aspiration. We have the ambition to build a great company, a great company in the tradition of many other great enterprise companies, but not a lot of new ones created over the last, last 10 years. So with that aspiration, as I've mentioned, I've met with over 500, it's probably about 600 customers now around the world over the last year. It's been awesome. I've sat down with CIOs and chief technology officers and chief financial officers, and I've asked them about what are your priorities? How are we doing as a company? What are we doing well? Where do we need to get better? And it's been wonderful. I will, I will tell you what I've been surprised at, however, is the stunning consistency of what I hear. Well, let me just summarize briefly. <laughs> Every company in the world, I swear to God, 95% of the companies have declared they're doing a digital transformation. Simply put, software is disrupting every company in every industry in every geography. I can be in Japan or Germany or New Jersey. I hear the same thing. And CEOs are saying, I'm being disrupted by software, so instead of being on defense, I need to go on offense. And I need to more digitally connect with my customers. I need to digitally connect with my employees, provide a better digital experience. And I need to use digital technology to transform how we operate. So I take all the complexity of running a global enterprise out and invest our scarce capital, our scarce resources, our scarce talent on innovating for our customers, not on dealing with the complexity of running a global company. So all across I hear the digital transformation. And what's clear, even in the year, I would say, it's gone from being a buzzword to a necessity. Chief executives understand it's a necessity. Second thing, as a result of that, everybody's embracing cloud. You can't, you can't drive a digital transformation without embracing cloud. Because simply put, you can't drive great customer experiences, great digital experiences, and drive the kind of productivity that's possible without cloud. So they're embracing cloud at the infrastructure level, either public cloud, hybrid cloud, private cloud. 
and they're embracing cloud at the software level. And that leads to the third thing I've heard. ServiceNow is rapidly becoming one of their core strategic cloud-based software platforms. And, and here's the kind of things I'm hearing over and over. You know, you start, we started using you for IT and for ITSM and for ticketing, but man, your platform, your platform is quite powerful and we're now using your platform across the enterprise. Your platform is sort of the connective tissue, the platform of platforms that allow us to drive workflows across the enterprise. You're becoming more and more strategic to what we do both within IT and how we run our business. So that message has been coming through loud and clear and quite consistently. Now, if that's what I've heard, let me just give you a little editorial on top. What do I think after a year? One is the cloud tailwind is powerful and it's in its early days. It reminds me a little bit of you remember when the internet came out, we said this kind of new thing, and the internet was the thing that kept on giving and giving? Or I was at eBay, right? I was running eBay when the iPhone came out. And in the first couple of years, we thought our eBay mobile apps or, and PayPal mobile apps were awesome. Well, it turned out this mobile thing was a very powerful force. <laughs> and so mobile has been a transformational thing that's driven tremendous growth in the consumer world. Cloud reminds me of mobile. I think cloud is the next mobile. And I think we're still in the early days. I see, I see even the later industries adopting cloud, right? Early on, not a necessity. Media had to do it. Tech had to do it. Consumer products had to do it. But now financial services that thought, oh, I can't do it for compliance reasons, now realize cloud's safer. Governments are embracing cloud aggressively. Utilities are embracing cloud. Oil and gas is embracing cloud. So I think cloud is still in its early days, and I'm quite cognizant that we're enjoying a nice tailwind, and I think that tailwind's going to be here for a while. We have to capitalize on it. Which leads me to a second observation. Our opportunity is enormous. And one of the things I like about our opportunity is it sort of defies convention a little bit. Mike's going to show you later that a third of our growth is using software where software wasn't being used before. Probably the best way to define our market is just workflow inside the company, inside, an, inside a company. Mike and I asked one of the banks to do an analysis that said, can you create the TAM of all workflow in an enterprise, all manual workflow, all unstructured workflow? How big would that be? What was it, Mike? It was like half a trillion dollars. So great, we'll cut that by half, you know. But what's happening, and it's happening organically with our platform, is our platform's getting pulled in places to automate workflow. Often it's unstructured workflow. Great example of that that CJ will probably touch on is the onboarding experience. Onboarding is a classic, unstructured, multifunctional workflow. You put ServiceNow technology on it, and you're connecting various departments, you're connecting multiple systems, Right? You're connecting ADP and, and Workday and, and Concur and all the financial systems and legal systems and making it one seamless experience for the employee. And so our opportunity is enormous. We feel that from our customers and we see that ourselves. 
And the third thing is we confront that. We are committed to trying to build an enduring company, a company that sustains and drives great success for customers for many years to come, develops great employees and leaders for many years to come, and drives the kind of returns for shareholders that you can count on for the long term. So let me spend a little time in this last point of building a great company. I've been a student of this for most of my career. At Bain, I used to watch what great companies were. At eBay, it's sort of what we tried to do, build an enduring company. And my observation is that, that enduring companies have four characteristics. One, they're purpose-driven. Think of almost every great company you know, it's purpose-driven. Two, they innovate and they execute. The media writes about innovation, but if you ask what makes Nike extraordinary, Starbucks extraordinary, Southwest Airlines extraordinary, Amazon extraordinary, Apple extraordinary, I'd see their execution is outstanding. Third, they invest in talent. They don't treat their employees as fungible resources. They invest in talent. They build their teams. All those companies I just mentioned have amazing continuity of leadership. They attract and develop leaders. And last, they exhibit the will to fight, the will to win. This is just about, this is a Jim Collins phrase. Jim's the one that described this, who's obviously written about built the last companies. That they aren't afraid of adversity, and they understand that it's one thing when everything's going up and to the right where you become great. So when you confront adversity. So with these four characteristics, I think all companies need to answer three simple questions. I call them the why, the what, and the how. So the why questions are the fundamental ones. Why do we exist? Why should someone want to work here? Why should someone go the extra mile and care? That's about purpose. The what questions are what are my products and services? What are the target customer segments I'm trying to serve? What is our business model? That's strategy. The how questions are how are we going to behave? How are we going to operate as an organization and as a team? How are we going to bring our purpose and our culture to life? That's about culture. And I would argue great companies, highly successful companies, have real clarity in these three things. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about how we're embracing purpose, strategy, and culture. Let's start with purpose. I happen to sit on the Nike board. Nike is a purpose-driven company. Their purpose, quite clearly, is to we bring to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete, asterisk, in the world. The asterisk is, if you have a body, you are an athlete. Now, you know, this is not just do it. It's not the marketing campaign. It's fundamental to who they are and what they believe. It gives them that ongoing clarity and inspiration and commitment to innovate continuously. Some of the new companies have embraced purpose in a fundamental way. This is Airbnb to make people around the world feel like they belong anywhere. So as we thought about our purpose as a company, the good news is our founder, Fred Luddy, gave us a wonderful starting point. This is a quote that Fred gave when he first founded the company. 
When I started ServiceNow in 2004, my vision was to build a cloud-based platform that would enable regular people to route work effectively through an enterprise. Note, regular people. And he founded an enterprise-wide platform. He put IT on after he founded the company. I think most of you know the history is Fred created a, Fred created a platform that he viewed to be enterprise-wide, workflows enterprise-wide. Turns out it was really hard to sell a platform back then. So he said, oh, I've got to put an application on. And because he had, to work, he had previously worked at Peregrine Systems, he picked ITSM. And boom, the company took off. And we sort of became known as the IT company or ITSM company when, in fact, our origins were as a platform company. Now, over the past, over the past several months, we've been engaging in, all right, how do we bring our purpose into today's world? And the more we've, the more we've sort of talked to our customers and people around, around the company about it, the more interesting it becomes because we are right at the core of some of the fundamental issues of our era, namely the future of work, right? You're reading a lot about the future of work, and I would assert that technology is going to change the experience at work more, more in the next three to five years than it has in the last 20. And our platform's right at the center of enabling the future of work. You can call it consumerize the enterprise or... You can call it unleash the organization. We're also right at the center of some of the fundamental dilemmas and debates around automation, right? There are a lot of people out there saying, is the goal of automation to eliminate all the jobs and get rid of all the humans? I think some people believe that. Or is the role of automation to enhance the quality of our lives? And so as a company, we felt like, you know what? We strongly embrace being in helping to drive the future of work. We will face up to some of the dilemmas and controversies around it, and we want to put a stake in the ground. So we created a series of statements, beliefs. We call this our internal manifesto. And it's as follows. We believe that work matters. It's where we spend a third of our lives. It shapes who we are how we feel, and how we interact with the world. So we must create great work experiences. Experiences that bring out the very best in us. Because when we're at our best, we make everything and everyone around us better. Our jobs, our coworkers, and our employers benefit. And our lives benefit even more. Because making the world of work, work better of people, better for people, we make the world work better too. And with that set of statements, we've simplified a simple proof of statement for ServiceNow. And that's, we make the world of work work better for people. And in saying this, there's two statements in here. One, the world of work is about the future of work. And a belief and a commitment that we can help drive and enable the future of work. I would argue our, our platform will will have a bigger impact on the future of work than any other software platform out there because we're not functional software. We're, by definition, workflow software across the enterprise. And then work better for people is a value statement. Those of you that have met Fred Luddy knows the regular people. We believe it's technology and service of people. And, yeah, we make automation software, but our automation software is not there to eliminate all the jobs. Our automation software is there to take the 30 to 40% of what all of us do in our jobs that's redundant, administrative, 
repetitive, frustrating, and automate that so that you can spend the other 60% and turn that 16 to 100 on leveraging your creativity and doing more value-added things. And so that's our purpose. And you see that purpose reflected in our brand expression, a more human-centric brand expression. So now some of you may think, well, purpose is this airy-fairy stuff. You know, it's fluffy. I don't believe that. I had the privilege of sitting on Intel's board. Intel's a pretty kick-ass company. It's a purpose-driven company. I'm on Nike's board. It's a purpose-driven company. I think if you look at the top performing companies, they have a clear sense of purpose, and purpose is why many of their employees join there and stay there. And so we're making a statement and investment in our purpose. It's one piece of our equation. All right, so that's a little bit about why. I will tell you, actually, we've rolled this purpose out across the company. Employees are resonating enormously. When I talked to customers about the purpose, I was having a conversation with the CIO of one of the top 20 Fortune companies. And we were having a nice conversation. They're a customer. And I talk about, then I talk about our aspiration to build a great company, and I talk about our purpose. And he lights up. He says, oh, yeah, we're a purpose-driven company, as almost every one of the top companies are. And the fact that you intend to be here for the long term and are purpose-driven makes me think about you a little bit differently. To be honest, I thought of you, I've been sort of thinking about you as you're just one more software vendor that will probably sell yourself to somewhere down the road. You're short-term and you're focused. Now that I hear this aspiration, you're the kind of company we want to partner with. And so I think this purpose is not irrelevant to the outside world. So let's talk about the what, what our strategy is. And in simplest terms, strategy is about priorities. And we've got four priorities that fall directly out of our customer conversations. First priority, build great products and platform. That's the foundation of what we do. It's our number one investment priority. And we are not going to lose sight around our products, our platform, and innovation. I'll come back to that, and then CJ will talk more about it. Two, build customer success. I view customer success as the next natural extension of our world-class go-to-market motion. Third, grow our talent. We need to expand our talent into different areas, grow it globally around the world, and build, build an a organization and a culture where we're growing the skills we need for the next step and the next step. When you're fast growth, you're always trying to stay ahead of the curve of the skill sets and capabilities required to get to the next stage. And then last but not least, establishing our company brand. Our products are well known by the decision makers who decide, but I would argue our company is one of the best kept secrets out there. So let me just touch briefly on each of these. Let's start with our products and our platform. CJ will go through this in more detail, but as I've mentioned, on a couple earnings calls. Last summer, CJ and I were both sort of new to the company. He had joined two or three months before me. And we both had a little bit of the same reaction, which is, okay, we got this $4 billion goal that's out there. Can we get there with our existing products? Or do we have a big gap? And so CJ led a process with each of our product managers where they built three-year plans. 
three-year strategies, if you will. It was a very useful exercise. And I will tell you that it is a reasonable assumption that we can get to $4 billion with our existing product set. Frankly, I think, I think all of us, CJ, me, Dave, Mike, we all were a little surprised on that. doesn't mean we don't want to develop new products, but relative to other businesses I've seen, this, this company, this platform has wonderful organic growth opportunity. And so CJ will go in more detail around what we're doing, but my top priority is to, to invest as much as I can in our platform and in our products. In fact, the dialogue CJ and I are having is how do we expand our capacity to innovate more and invest more? A small example CJ will talk about is in addition to investing in our platform, in addition to investing in our products, we've created this NowX, which is simply an incubator, which is a formal place where we develop the next applications. Because what's happening is we're getting hundreds of ideas of where we should build our next applications from our customers who are saying, hey, could you build a facilities product? Or could you build a legal product? Or man, financial close the books. Could you build an IoT product? And the NowX, their job is to take all those ideas and get us into a motion where we're launching one to two new products a year starting in, in 2019 and beyond. So this is our top investment priority. Uh, CJ will demonstrate or share with you some of our approach and our progress in a minute. Go to market. I think one of the real historical strengths of this company is how we've evolved our go to market motion. Dave Schneider and Kevin Haverty and our team deserved enormous credit for this. Because today, everyone sees, wow, you got a world-class go-to-market team, sales team. But as Dave points out to me frequently, it didn't, wasn't always that way. You know, we had account reps, and then we added SCs. And then when we, when we uh, added Inspire to become a lot more strategic, then we added product line specialists when we added the various products. Then we added some vertical people. And so this, this is what's enabled our go-to-market team to be able to sell more and more effectively, more senior, and more broadly. And customer success comes out of the top area I, I hear our customers asking us to raise our game. What they're basically saying is, I love your product, I love your platform, can you just make it easier for us to get the value out of it? They're saying, you're now a strategic platform, so I want to know your best practices. What are the best practices? Be more prescriptive to us. Don't be a passive software supplier. Be a, be a prescriptive partner in telling us how to get maximum value out of service now. Can you help us stay more current, stay on the upgrades? So they're asking for us to play a more strategic role with them. And customer success, when you hear us investing in customer success, it's to do just that. It's to work with our partners and of having a certified ecosystem of trained ServiceNow professionals in the, in the partner ecosystem at an Accenture, at a Deloitte, at a KPMG, at a DXC, at an IBM. One of the top issues when I travel around the world is there are not trained, enough trained ServiceNow professionals in the partner ecosystem. And then 
how do we provide better capabilities to identify our best practices and share them effectively with our customers and make upgrades easier and faster. And so this is an important investment area. In that same three-year plan we did last year, one of the things that was clear is 80% of our growth is going to come from expanding existing relationships. And I view customer success is the go-to market motion to help expand customer relationships. So an important area of investment, an important area of, of opportunity for us to, to build the kind of scale strategic relationships we think we can get. A note, one, one quick note that's kind of interesting. Um, we are appropriately proud when we show how many million-dollar customers we have or how many $5 million customers we have or even a $20 million customer. 80% of those are spending two, three, four, five billion in IT. And so if we, in fact, are one of their strategic platforms, strategic partner, if we deliver for them, if our platform and products help them drive economic value, which I believe we do, growing the size of our relationships is something that I believe is very possible and can happen in a natural, healthy, and sustainable way. And that's what this is about. We want to be the trusted technology partner for our customers. One of the few trusted technology partners. Talent. Let me just touch on talent for a minute. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and thrilled with a strong leadership team. And in many ways, this reflects what's going on inside of our company today. You'll note that we have people who have long and strong experience at ServiceNow. Mike, who's been here for, what, Mike, six, seven years since the company went public. Dave Schneider. Rob Specker, Dave Wright, people that have known this company, been part of building it, and are excited about its future. We have a group of people that are deeply grounded in enterprise software and reasonably new to the company. CJ, CJ's been here now, what, 15 months. Dan Rogers, our chief marketing officer, strong enterprise. Man, is that guy a strong enterprise CMO. And Chris Beatty, our CIO, who's a very strategic CIO. And then we're adding a group of people who have been to growing scale companies, but maybe bring a consumer genetic to the company. I put myself in that category. Our new chief talent officer, Pat Waters. Our new chief communications and brand officer. All the brand work you're seeing here, that's Alan Marks. He's worked at Nike. I recruited him out of Nike, and he's with me for a decade at eBay. And so what we're working to do is provide the alchemy of skills and capabilities necessary so that we can achieve that vision. And under the surface, we're investing heavily in ensuring we get the right talent in the right places. We build the kind of development and training programs that are going to be necessary, and we retain that talent and grow it. Which I've learned in my career, the one thing you can't overcome is not having the right talent. We have to have great engineering, product, and design talent. We have to have great sales talent. And we have to have strong talent across the, across the organization. So strong commitment to that. And then last but not least, company brand. 
and I want to be very clear and specific here. Product brand is what decision makers focus on. What are the product attributes? And we're, we're strong at that. Certainly IT knows about ServiceNow and increasingly HR, customer support, security. Company brand is more focused on employees. It's more focused on recruits. In our case, it's focused on C-suite air cover. If you think about it, take a company like Cisco. Everyone's heard of Cisco, but most people have no idea what they make, right? Uh, I, think, I think Mark's done a nice job at Salesforce, Benioff. Everyone's heard of Salesforce. It stands for something. Most people actually don't know what their software does. And so in the talent wars and then getting C-suite coverage, having a company brand matters. And it's just never been an area of investment or priority for ServiceNow. And so it starts with having a clear purpose. Company brands are off as purpose-driven. What does the company stand for? When you watch TV, that's what you see. And we, we now, with the purpose, we see, a, we see us having a new brand identity. And we'll begin to invest in our company brand. We're not going to be doing anything bold or rash. We're not going to be building buildings or sports arenas or sponsoring great big things. But we're just going to begin to thoughtfully test and learn a way into elevating our company brand a little bit. Right? Actually, our customers are asking for it. Our employees are definitely asking for it. And it helps inside the C-suite. So those are the areas that we are prioritizing and investing. Our product and our platform, customer success as our go-to-market motion, our talent, and our company brand. And we feel like we have an opportunity of wherever we can invest intelligently, we want to do it because the opportunity is so significant for us. So let me just wrap up by talking a little bit about the phases and how we're thinking about them. I don't know, Mike, if we talked about phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, and this in the past, this, I learned this from Frank, the first time I met Frank. Okay. So Frank talked about phase one, zero to 100 million. It's all about product market fit. You try to find the lightning in a bottle. Very, very, very few companies achieve that. It's often founder-driven, product-driven, and you're looking for that product market fit. And for the very, 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 very few enterprise software companies, phase two is when you've got product market fit and you want to scale it while that window's open. And as Frank said so eloquently, it's a different kind of leadership style. It's about execution and discipline and focus. You want to scale it while that opportunity's there. Don't get distracted. And for the very, 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 very few enterprise software companies that get to a billion, phase three is a billion to five billion, four to five billion. And that's as different from phase two as phase one is from phase two. And phase three is how do you go from one product to multi-products? How do you go from being one geography to going global? How do you expand your talent so you've got the skills to grow sustainably? How do you begin to establish company brand? Frank did an extraordinary job of taking ServiceNow through phase one and phase two and setting us up into phase three. And I and our team are very focused on executing 
during phase three to get to our $4 billion goal. And we're increasingly confident we can get to our $4 billion goal. And we're, the investments we're making, we believe, will enable us to do that. And we're also crystal clear we have a lot of execution to do. And this is a company that executes well, and we want to keep executing well. So 99% of our organizational energy is on executing on the opportunity in front of us. But increasingly, me, Mike, some of our, CJ, Dave, our board, we're beginning to look at beyond, beyond phase three. We're looking beyond four billion. We're looking to 10 billion, phase four. And how can we be doing the things now that enable us to get to $10 billion? Now, I am crystal clear, and we keep saying to our organization, you can't get to 10 until you get to four. So the investments we're making and the focus on our products and our platform with our existing products and platform, executing on customer success, building our team, and beginning to build our brand, are the right things for phase three to get to four billion, but they also set us up for phase four. And now we're beginning to ask some of these questions. Lara Kami, who's right here. Lara, raise your hand. I've hired Lara, who is from Bain. She is now our chief strategy officer. By the way, she is another one of the people that came in in that third bucket, along with Alan and Pat. She's first time we've ever had a strategy function. Lara spent her career in enterprise software, covering enterprise software, serving enterprise software. She's leading a process with the senior team, with the board. We're beginning to look beyond $4 billion around how our customer needs going to evolve. In a machine learning, AI-centric world, how will work be done differently? We have all this organic opportunity in our platform. How do we think about what products we add next and how we extend our platform? We have a number of adjacent markets. Which adjacent markets do we want to prioritize? How should we leverage M&A? I think I've been pretty clear that we believe in the next 12 to 18 to 24 months, we have enough organic growth opportunity. Job one, two, and three is to execute on that organic growth. We'll make tuck-in acquisitions. But when you begin thinking about how you get to 10 billion, you begin to say, well, we're going to have to be able to use M&A at some point to add additional engines for growth, complementary engines for growth. No active plans in the short term, but I just want you to know we're beginning to think about that when we think in a three to five to seven year time horizon. And then how do we continue to attract the same talent? And so the reason I put this up is I would tell you that, you know, over the next six, 12, 18 months, I intend to be spending 10, 20, 30% of my time along with Mike and our board on these topics to ensure we get there, while the rest of our organizations focus on executing on the opportunity in front of us. So just to sum up before I turn it over to CJ, our aspirations to build an enduring company. I actually think that aspiration matters. We want to be a purpose-driven company. We have clarity in our purpose. We have a strong cloud tailwind behind us. The organic growth opportunity is as good as I've seen in my career. We need to live up to becoming a strategic partner for our customers and not just a software supplier. We're committed to doing that. 
we're investing in the areas that we want to invest in that we believe will drive us to four billion and to be honest we will want to continue invest as much as we think we can in a healthy and responsible way while this opportunity is open and we're setting our sights at four billion and beyond and so we'll continue to be as transparent as we can about what we're learning along the way I'm sure we'll make mistakes there'll be new discoveries and new learnings but I believe I will just wrap up by saying I pinch myself a little bit because um, I joined this company a little bit. You know, I wasn't sure a year ago. A year ago, I thought this seems like a great opportunity. It seems like a, a, an opportunity to take a, a, a business that has extraordinary potential and build it to the next level. And a year, a year in, I will tell you, I've enjoyed the last year as much or more than any, any year in my career. And I feel with even more conviction today that the opportunity we have is real. And it gets me out of bed every morning to take advantage of that, to try to get up, work with what's the, one of the, the most enjoyable teams I've ever been part of, to take advantage of that and capitalize on it. So with that, I'm going to ask the brains of our operation, the guy that builds the products and platform that drive everything else we do, CJ Desai is going to come up and talk about our product and our platform. Please welcome CJ. Thank you. With that introduction, the bar is set so high, so I'm going to do my best here. So as John talked about this, the fundamental thing here, you know, we have many products, and even at this stage of the company, we have single platform. So all the key technologies that these products leverage are built in this single platform, and that keeps the innovation engine going at a faster pace. So if we have to create a brand new product, if we decide that a specific workflow, just to give an example, around, say, maybe legal or marketing, if we want to create a product in that area, given that platform provides most of the services, it is a much easier task. And like John said, the harder task is which specific area we need to prioritize. So in visiting customers and speaking to them when they come to the EVC, the one thing that I hear is outside of the products that we have, our customers are using our platform in a really creative ways. Some are you know, just routine tasks like how many mobile phones we have, what's the usage, billing, tracking parcels for a royal uh, mail carrier, or it could be something as simple as a healthcare system. The point I'm trying to make here is that customers are using platform in a strategic way outside of the out-of-box products that we provide that you saw on the previous slide, and making that platform as a key platform in how the work gets routed throughout the enterprise. So, and I speak to customers and I ask them, why? Why are you using this platform? What makes it interesting? And besides using the ITSM or other products we have, what is it about the platform that you are building these applications on? And there are a few reasons, but if I have to say top two or three reasons is first, it's a cloud-based platform 
that can scale with the customer needs. As they are expanding into additional products or additional use cases, the platform can scale with their usage. So that's number one. Number two, all the things such as analytics, machine learning, how they deliver user experiences, all of that is built in the platform. They have to just call those libraries or software and they can make things happen. So things being built into the platform rather than in the vertical buckets of the applications makes it easier for them to create applications. And in this multi-cloud world, ServiceNow is the right place where you can provide cloud-related services around your visibility, health of your infrastructure, and how you manage cloud through our platform. So what I constantly hear is that you have made all this innovation in the platform, and as John said, that's where Fred started. And the idea was if you build in the platform, it is a cloud platform, you can create workflows and route work through the enterprise. It just makes it easier for our customers to create applications besides using our application that can talk to each other. And one point I do want to make here is that most of the times in speaking to customers, when they are trying to automate these business processes, these are complex business processes that spans across the systems, and what they are trying to do is if I can create a workflow that spans across the system and integrates well, that's exactly how this platform was designed. And that's what makes us very sticky and for them to build applications on. So if I double click on that platform and go into the details, ability for our customers to serve their employees or serve their partners or serve their customers is all built into the platform layer, as I said before. So whether it's service experiences, service intelligence. So when we do analytics, this is not another you know, add-on, different platform, extract the data, and create analytics reports. It is built in the platform. When we do machine learning, it is built in the platform. When we are trying to deliver user experiences for web, mobile, in the future for IoT, it will be built into the platform. So all of these three key layers around user experience, service intelligence, and service experiences are built in the platform. What that does is that you cannot say, okay, we are going to deliver great experiences and create a nice looking UI. That's not enough unless you have fundamentally automated and optimized your manual workflows you cannot deliver great experiences. And that's where ServiceNow comes in. It allows you to automate workflow because you could have a great UI, but if it doesn't route well on trying to get work done, it does not matter, okay? So from a framework standpoint, uh, when John says, CJ, what are the areas you are investing in? When customers ask us, most importantly, what are the areas we are investing in? We have a very simple framework, uh, you know, a huge fan of Jeffrey Moore's work in this area. And ERP and CRM system, where I grew up, it took about 20-some years for it to get mass adoption. It's called system of record, ERP, HCM, supply chain planning. You had many, many software in that bucket. And right now, within that area, 
you have disruption going on. And as John said, there is a cloud adoption taking place just within system of record. So somebody may have an on-prem HCM system, and they may try to go to a cloud-based HCM system. Same thing with financials and other things. What's unique about ServiceNow is we are in the system of engagement or system of action layer. And what system of action layer does, whether you have an on-prem, whether you have a cloud, or any other type of software investment, ServiceNow, given its architecture, will work across them. So our focus has been around system of engagement or system of action, focusing on the end user, focusing on the mobile apps, and focusing on workflows that can be built quickly that can span across the systems, like I said before. We are investing in system of intelligence. Simply put, how can we leverage data? As you all know, data is the fuel for AI. How can we leverage data more and more? We are a SaaS company and create optimization for our customers so they get even more value out of the investment they have made in ServiceNow. So this is a simple framework I use. I say, okay, what's happening in system of record space? We are in system of engagement. We want to make sure that because of the data, can we provide customers even more optimization where it makes sense and continue to invest in those areas. And John talked about phases. And I get asked this question, CJ, what's your favorite product? Which product will become first $100 million, $500 million? Dom asks me that question all the time. So does Jimmy. Uh, and I, I would say, from a strategy standpoint, IT will always be our core. We will always invest in IT products throughout our phases. We have not taken our eye off the ball of IT, and we continue to invest in specific functions of IT that I'll touch in a second. Number two, the products, as we have defined it in our uh, presentation, what you call emerging products, Frank and the team invested that in phase two, and we are in the early innings in phase three. So uh, these are big markets, CSM, HR, security, these are big markets. We launched this product just a few quarters ago, and you're seeing the results. They are all growing nicely, but they were invested in phase two so that we can have benefits out of those products for our customers in phase three. And given that we are in phase three today, the current investment is looking at phase four products. So what's beyond 2020? What do we need to invest? What are the customers telling us? Uh, what are the trends that we need to capitalize on? Again, keeping a simple principle in mind, we need to deliver great experiences so that our customers get value out of their investment. So that's the mental model, is IT will always be core. We will continue to invest in emerging products as the use cases become mature. And for phase four products, we have started prioritizing, as John said, with the incubation unit. So when you have multi-product portfolio and a platform like we have, the simple priorities with my team is, number one, we need to deliver great experiences. And if you want to deliver great experiences for our customers, whether they are serving their employees or their partners or any other stakeholders, 
you have to make sure that you can optimize and automate processes. And number two, all the innovation that we do has to go into the platform layer so that all products just magically work with each other. Because we are built on a single platform, we do not have this challenge that we have to create a single pane of glass and have multiple platforms that talk to each other. It is a single schema, single workflow engine, single UX technology, and multiple products that are built on it. And that's what gets me excited about ServiceNow, that it's in a very unique position at this scale, that you have single platform and multiple products all working in harmony with each other. So John talked a little bit about acquisitions. And you know we have acquired six companies in the past 18 months or so. And the, these companies are aligned with our priorities. So when we said deliver great experiences, we bought a design firm, a telepathy, and that was based in San Diego, and they are doing some phenomenal work that we'll show on Tuesday and Wednesday. We bought Sky Giraffe, and again, great, great talent. This is around native mobile experiences. Don't just take a boring web-looking screen in enterprise software and make it work on mobile. Truly give nice interface experience for the moments that matter so you can get work done. It's all about getting work done. And around innovation, you know, we bought DX Continuum, great talent of machine learning uh, folks. We introduced supervised machine learning in our Kingston release, which came out in January. Last week, we announced Parlo, and I'll talk about Parlo in a second, and Clue, which is uh, as part of my announcements. And then about a couple of weeks ago, we bought VendorHawk because the IT organizations are saying, we are investing a lot in cloud. Help us understand how we are, what is the usage against all the cloud software that we are buying. So VendorHawk specifically addresses uh, that problem. So I'm going to quickly touch on our IT products. And again, the overall theme here is that they are all built on a single platform, and they serve major functions of the CIO. So whether it's your project management office, whether it's service management, sometimes these are called infrastructure uh, folks, which is VP of infrastructure that has compute network and storage, or knowing what assets I have in the organization, all of that is run by IT, and we will continue to serve all the functions, major functions of IT, and deliver great products for them. So, you know, for the first time at this knowledge, we are actually sharing high-level, or in this case, detailed, uh, roadmap. Um, and this roadmap, what it does is this is 12 months out because our customers and partners are saying, CJ, we need to know what's the roadmap so we can plan better. And the general theme is improving experiences, adding more functionality, making it, you know, wherever automation is possible, give that flexibility to IT so they can leverage our products. So in every single area, the investments that are happening in R&D is, again, never lose sight that IT is our core buyer, and with help of IT, we can solve multiple use cases. In emerging products, which is, you know, security and GRC, 
CSM, which is our customer service management that combines the power of CRM and ITSM and HR, exact same philosophy. How can we route work if a HR service department is dealing with the employees? How can they serve the employees better? How can they give them great experiences, searching knowledge base, so that they can get work done? Whether it's onboarding that cuts across the enterprise, whether it's any specific types of uh, requests that HR department routinely gets, we want to automate as much as possible. Same thing with customer service. Uh, we have both customer service management product and field service products, and these are showing really, really good signs uh, of success, and customers are buying these products, and our vision is resonating with them. And in security, we started with security operations team, so around incident management, and now we are seeing more and more use cases around vulnerability management. You get all these weaknesses coming out of software, how do you prioritize it? How do you manage around it? And this, again, we are not in the protect or detect space, but the management of all the incidents that the security team and these organizations have to deal with, with a massive, massive inflow of all kinds of alert, that's where ServiceNow's value is. So I'm going to speak a little bit about our platform, because I started with the platform and how I think about it. Now, these numbers, you know, these are great numbers. Our platform is scaling nicely. But the important thing is, if you asked me the same numbers a year ago, they would be at a 65 to 70% of these numbers. So we are able to scale with our customers as they are doing more and more transactions across our products, more and more transactions in building applications, and making API calls to other cloud providers, other cloud systems, and having close to 7,500 production instances that are serving our 4,000-plus customers. So the growth, number, the growth story here is our platform scale, because you cannot just become a multi-product company if your platform cannot scale within it. In my career, I have been in too many exercises where we had to re-platform because we could not keep up with the growth of our customer base, and so far, at least in this stage, we are seeing that our platform is able to scale nicely as our customers are adopting more and more products. So when I think of the platform and how I decide with the team what the priorities are, we have three different stakeholders for our platform. Again, you'll keep on hearing this same theme. It is the same platform that our engineering team builds the products on, it's the same platform that our customers build the applications on, and it is the same platform that our partners, OEMs, ISVs are building apps on. There is no like a derivative platform, an offshoot of a platform. It is the same platform. And we get requirements from all of them in trying to help them deliver great experiences for their customers. So my team pushes the boundary of the platform. CJ, we want to create this use case around say maybe security or around uh, machine learning, we'll have the similar requirements coming from our customers. Hey, have you thought of a, this particular use case? And as John said, there is no lack of use cases that our customers tell us to productize. It is which one we productize first, okay? And then our ISV, OEM, 
We are in the early innings of uh, that specific motion. We have good investment in that area, and there are companies that are now building apps on top of our platform. So from platform standpoint, in keeping in mind our purpose and how Fred started the company, number one, give very simple low-code, no-code tools to our customers so that they can route work effectively through enterprise. That's it. So we introduced two technologies, Flow Designer, that allows you to have, you know, just think about what you see is what you get in creating the workflow across the enterprise. And then Integration Hub, which is a sister product that allows you to integrate with other third-party system because, let's face it, IT landscape in enterprise is a heterogeneous landscape with tools and software. And if you cannot integrate with other systems while you are trying to automate a business process, it doesn't work. So you will see more and more investment, out-of-box integration with collaboration tools like Microsoft Teams, Slack, uh, with file sharing tools like Box, Azure, and other things is all part of our platform flow designer and integration hub technology. I'm really excited because this is truly game-changing event because one, my applications team will build software and integration using this so it's easier for our customers and partners. And second, for our customers, when they are trying to create any type of workflow, whether it's a unique business process in Switzerland or something different in Japan, they can do that using Flow Designer and Integration Hub. We just launched this in Kingston, and you will see more and more out-of-box functionality to help out our customers and partners. And second is around experiences. When we talk about experiences, how can we make it easier you know, most people don't remember the technology. They often get frustrated with it, but they always remember the experience. What was my experience in trying to get work done on this specific software? And enterprise software has a long ways to go, so we are going to continue to focus in this area, and you will see some of the innovations coming soon on that. The next thing I would say from an investment standpoint, when I spoke even to the partners uh, this morning, got many emails. One of the questions that our partners and customers asked, can you give us a predictable schedule? And most of the SaaS companies, at least in the enterprise space, because you have to set aside testing resources, you have to make sure that your business processes don't break when you upgrade. You know, some companies do three times a year, some companies do two times a year. We have decided after speaking to many, many customers that the right cadence is two releases a year. So what we are committing to our customers at this conference for the first time, that every Q1 and every Q3, because of their freeze during Q4 and so on, that every Q1 and every Q3, you will get predictable releases, including all kinds of tools and technologies for them to be able to upgrade easier. I want to take out the friction out of the upgrade process because there is still anxiety when it comes to any enterprise software. It could be a desktop software or cloud software. Every enterprise software, you have to set aside testing resources. There is human efforts involved. How can we make it easier? So we are going to provide releases in advance, 60 days in advance, give them automation tools so to accelerate the upgrade time. And what we are seeing even with Kingston release, 
that there are customers, it used to take them a few months, now they can upgrade within three weeks. And our ask is, with all this innovation coming at this pace, for customers to keep up with it and at least upgrade once a year with us so that they can be on the same innovation journey. So we are releasing this uh, schedule uh, on Wednesday to our customers because that has been their ask that we want to know your innovation schedule so we can keep up with it. So what's new? And this is the this is my favorite part of the presentation. So the first thing that we are announcing on Wednesday is this virtual agent technology. So we bought a company called Clue last year. Now chat has been around for many years. So you're going to say, CJ, okay, I see some of the chat interfaces. What's, what's the big deal? So it's not about chat. What is unique here is first, it is a conversational interface. So think about you are an employee, you are a remote employee, and you want to set up corporate email on your phone. Very typical use case, or you upgraded your phone, you bought new iPhone, and you want to set up your corporate email. Rather than actually calling IT, this is a routine request. You should be able to get that done via a chat interface of your choice. If you like Microsoft Teams, work in Microsoft Teams. If you like some other collaboration tool, you can work in collaboration tool. So number one, it's a conversational interface that you are as if you are conversing, not please press one if you think you have this problem, which is what happens in the chat world too, because they are trying to understand that. Second, we acquired a company called Parlo uh, last week. And the reason we acquired that company, that company does natural language understanding because even if you look at a simple term like network, network means something different if you are a telco company. Network means something different if you are a healthcare company. Network means something different if you are a financial services company. So this enterprise speak, it will understand the enterprise speak from your data so that when you are requesting something, it's easier to get done. So coming back to why I'm excited about this technology is it's conversational interface. Number two, any platform interaction that can be done in ServiceNow can be done via this interface. So for example, you can approve something, you can order a PC, you can order a mobile phone, you can request a leave, you can say, my, this particular product is broken. Across our product spectrum, anything we have could be done via this interface. So because it is natively built in the platform. So it's not just a um, chat tool that say, oh, I have this problem and let me get your agent and then you have to repeat the whole thing again. This is contextual, intelligent, and conversational. Okay? And it's available in London, which is next quarter. Agent workspace, we have close to 10 million fulfillers. Fulfillers are resolving cases, whether they are for IT, whether they are for HR, whether they are for customer service. These fulfillers are the face of the IT. If you don't have a good experience with IT, it's because it took too long for the fulfiller to solve your case. Maybe your experience was not great and all that. So we went and observed how our fulfillers were working around the world and really designed this product after many, many months of efforts to make it easier for fulfillers to solve the problem. Because if the fulfillers are effective, 
when you have your laptop or iPad broken or your phone broken or you need a new service, you will get a better experience and you will say two thumbs up. So, you know, everybody focuses on always the end users and that focus is absolutely critical and necessary, but it's not sufficient. So we decided that we wanted to really care of this millions and millions of fulfillers on ServiceNow platform to be able to solve cases really fast. So that's what we are announcing in London. And the Sky Giraffe acquisition that I briefly talked about, we did in October, we will deliver native mobile experiences with two or three clicks for you to be able to get things done, like you will have in potentially an airline app or any type of consumer app where you are just using few clicks to get the most routine tasks done. This will be available in Madrid. I'm really excited. You will see a lot of this uh, on Wednesday's keynote. And most important thing here is that we are going to provide our customers with mobile designer because what customers tell us, we do not have enough people to create a mobile app. We create a mobile app for the enterprise. The adoption is poor. I have to worry about single sign-on, authentication, and then my employees just don't use that software. So we want to make it really easy in a low-code, no-code format that John talked about just for regular people to be able to build this mobile applications on our platform. And we are going to get that done by Madrid. We are currently in the replatforming phase, which is almost done, and uh, release out-of-box functionality for our applications or for a custom application in Madrid release. And last but not the least, you know, DevOps, so if you look at IT organization, the biggest push they have is the peer group. The peer group of CIO is constantly going to the CIO and saying, hey, I want analytics software. I want this particular mobile software for employee experience. I want um, this software for my marketing. Whatever the case is, every CIO is trying to figure out how fast they can develop software, either for a business unit or for an internal use. And this process today, we went on the agile revolution, but the process today is fragmented, manual, and there are too many holes because even in just, if you go from plan to monitor, you start plan and then you go clockwise, there are many, many tools in each process, but what's missing is a workflow around it. And given that we are really good at workflow, we believe that this is going to change how our customers do DevOps. And, you know, as much as my team would like to cr take credit for this, some of our customers have already built DevOps workflow so that they have visibility across multiple software projects and they can move faster. So we are trying to help IT to move faster on their software development lifecycle by giving them workflow that cuts across all the way from plan to monitor. And John talked about this, so I'm going to spend a little time on this. This innovation unit that we formed, as I said, we are getting so many requests to build so many applications. Just in the first month, I think there were 40-plus requests when we announced it just internally. We have not even announced it in front of our customers, done hackathons to get all the input. We are getting so many requests saying, can we build application emergency and response system or potentially a financial system or a specific use case within IoT 
for a building application or refrigerator units and things of that nature, the first job for this team is to prioritize all of that because we are getting so many requests. And as I said before, it is not that hard to build it on our platform. For us, what we are going to build is a harder part than the how. So this unit is first focusing on prioritizing brutally with the goal that they will release at least, John says two, I have committed to one, uh, at least one or two products every year. So one or two brand, prod, brand new products every year is our goal beginning next year. So we formed this unit in December. They have already prioritized uh, four or five use cases. They are going to create products out of it. Some will work, some will not work. We will have design partners. We'll really validate the use case. And the goal being have one or two new products come out every year so that we can keep our innovation uh, life cycle. So in summary, at the highest level, we are focused on our customer success. Because if our customers are successful on our platform and products, we get their permission to give them additional products or for them to build additional applications using our platform. So delivering great experiences across web, mobile, uh, tablet interfaces, where if you are using ServiceNow and you get work done, that is the key, key focus for our teams. We have done a lot of investments here. We have hired some key leadership in design areas besides uh, who come from consumer background to be able to raise the bar here. And second, in the platform layer, yes, we will always innovate around the applications, but in the platform layer, can we continue to have technologies that will deliver innovation? You know, machine learning is great. Uh, we bought DX Continuum. We replatformed it. We saw benefits internally, and we'll continue to expand in that area. Similar thing with the virtual agent that you just saw. So innovation is an ongoing thing, and we are very focused on can we take this innovation, whether it's acquisition or, inor or organic, and build that in our platform. So those are my two priorities. We'll continue to ship great products, and you saw the release schedule, and thank you for your time. Thanks, CJ. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, there's food and drink over there. You guys can caffeinate, uh, get ready for the second half of the show. But we ask that you be ready to go uh, by 2.35. Thank you.
Lay.
Came to dance, 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 dance. I hit the floor 'cause that's my plans, 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 plans. I'm wearing all my favorite brands, 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 brands. Give me some space for both my hands, 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 hands. You, you, 'cause it goes on and on and on, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah, I throw my hands up in the air sometimes, saying. 
Ladies and gentlemen, kindly take your seats. Our program will begin in five minutes. As a courtesy to our presenters and those seated around you, please silence your mobile devices. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, our program is about to begin. Please take your seats and silence your devices. Thank you. Please welcome back from ServiceNow, Finance and Investor Relations, Jimmy Sexton. All right, next up, as I mentioned earlier, we get to hear from uh, Deloitte. Moderating the Q&A is our Chief Revenue Officer, David Schneider. Dave's been with the company for uh, a little over seven years and has been instrumental in our, in our growth over the last seven years. As John mentioned, this uh, new customer success initiative rolls up under Dave. So with that, I'd like to welcome him to the stage. Thanks, sir. Welcome, everybody. So with me today, um, I have Steve Mansfield, who's the CIO of Deloitte, and Dan Slocar, um, who runs the global practice for ServiceNow. Um, and Dan and I have known each other for 
I want to say five, six years, five or six years. So Dan will probably give you a little bit more color on that introduction. But suffice to say, just an incredibly important practice for us uh, as we continue to grow. So why don't I let Steve, maybe you can just introduce yourself and a little bit about Deloitte so that everyone has some context of your role as the CIO instead of Deloitte. Sure. Thanks very much. It's a great pleasure to be here. So uh, thank you for that. Um, Stephen Mansfield, I'm the CIO for uh, Canada and the Americas, so I'm one of our top two or three IT people in the world. Uh, partner in the firm, been in the firm for uh, 22 years and been a partner for 17. Uh, Deloitte is a $40 billion organization. We are worldwide in 100-plus countries. We're organized in member firms. Uh, probably about 30. A few years ago, we would have been about 50, and that's part of our story. We are rapidly consolidating our operations. Our customers are demanding that from us. We operate in uh, five major lines of business. Audit, tax, you would know. Uh, we are in the legal business. We are also in the advisory business, so consulting, risk, and financial advisory. Um, we have a purpose as well. It was interesting to hear that today, to make an impact that matters is uh, what we are about. Um, our company is uh, global in nature, highly diverse, operates in every conceivable geography, language, and circumstance uh, around the world. Uh, thanks. So, uh, again, thanks for having us. Great, uh, great to have you here as well. Um, Dan Slocker, I'm a partner in our technology practice. Uh, as Dave mentioned, I lead our capability globally in ServiceNow. I've been working with ServiceNow for about seven years now. Um, I also, I'm also part of our global um, alliances and ecosystem team where we um, organize and fund uh, our activities around broader set of relationship than just ServiceNow. So, um, and uh, being with that group um, also gives us a perspective on evolution of ServiceNow and how it fares to some of our other relationships. Uh, just to add to Stephen's point around Deloitte, you know, the message about enduring, uh, building enduring company really resonates with us. Uh, we've been in business for 174 years. Um, uh, we are largest uh, private partnership in the world, and we as partners are builders. We build our business, and um, when we look at how we build our business, we look for opportunities that will create legacy. And uh, six years ago, when I when I looked at ServiceNow and realized potential, I picked that as, uh, as an area to build my legacy in Deloitte. And so far, so good. I'll talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, so when, when you're in my role and you find people that are going to bet their careers on you, um, it's a really uh, important phase of the relationship growth. And that's what we went through six years ago. Is I mean, it kind of looked at me and said, are you in with me if we do this? And ever since, we haven't looked back. So I know one of the questions that often is on the minds of investors is actually how extensible is this uh, ServiceNow platform? And Steve, you, you started uh, bringing us in to replace a number of different IT service management tools. Maybe you can give people some insight. You're not the way Deloitte structured is not a simple structure. So give us a little perspective on, on your journey and then maybe a little color on where it's going. Sure. There are, there are so many parts to that. Um, I'll, I'll illustrate a couple ways. You know, our initial contract with ServiceNow would have had six figures. We then signed a subsequent contract that had seven figures. Today we signed a contract that has eight figures, and it's getting in the high eight, eight figures in terms of how much money we spend on ServiceNow. And uh, for us, 
this started as a, a pilot, one firm in one part of the world in IT service management. They had success. Um, a few more of us came along. Canada was one of those. I represent Canada in the, this context. And um, we, we decided we're going to get on board with this and see what we can do with this. And we replaced um, a legacy uh, service management platform. Um, we brought along our, our global colleagues, our U.S. colleagues, and then Italy and Germany came along. So that's the flavor of the, uh, of the second number that I quoted to you. And we had this success in rolling out this platform. Canada implemented ServiceNow in probably three to four months, quickly followed by our global organization, followed by our U.S. organization, Italy, Germany, and a couple of others. And so then we were sitting around this and talking about this as an organization, and we're saying, wow, look at how well we've done. It's resonated well. People actually tell us they like this. You know, and for the IT people to actually say they like that, that was actually an accomplishment. Um, and then more importantly, our end users, our clients, were telling us the stories of how it was making a difference for them uh, in their business. We're facing a situation where Deloitte is growing at an unprecedented rate. We are growing uh, in our headcount 7 to 10% a year. 20% of our services are different or new now relative to where they were uh, just three years ago. So we have this massive change taking place in, place in our organization. We had to move faster as an IT organization to enable that. ServiceNow is helping us achieve that. So um, we sat around one day, literally, um, a few of us, and we said, wow, 50% of the globe is now starting to look at using ServiceNow. What more can we do with this? And then we made the strategic decision that led to the large-scale relationship and partnership that we have from a use of ServiceNow perspective. Now we're setting about implementing that. What's really interesting is it's not just IT service management anymore. Our demand is well beyond IT service management. We are using it for uh, project management, portfolio management, business management, much of what you saw here. Our security operations are, are running or being enabled through ServiceNow. Uh, orchestration, automation. Uh, we now use it uh, outside of IT in all of our five lines of business. They're enabling solutions uh, using ServiceNow. All of what we call enabling areas or all of the back office might be another term you're familiar with, but finance, talent, marketing, our business operations, our facility people, all enabled uh, through ServiceNow. So we have this tremendous demand, which we actually can't even keep up with right now, where people simply want uh, this uh, solution to enable them. And, and it, it's, it's extraordinary, really, to find people now coming to me as the uh, technology leader and saying, look at what I did using ServiceNow, and they're actually finding ways to do, use this that we hadn't even envisioned uh, at that time when we made that decision. Um, as I've said to a few people who have asked me this question, I, I, I used to advise clients on technology decisions. Now the firm has asked me to do this for us. And um, so I implemented a lot of technology. I'd like to tell you that it was always successful. Um, probably wasn't in all cases. However, in ServiceNow's case, it's successful. This service, this product, has yet to disappoint me. We are truly being very successful uh, in our uh, use of this product. And if you were to take a look at the level of demand, and I may talk about that through this chat a little bit, you'd, uh, you'd really start to see that. So, so again, uh, again, for the audience in the room, one of the questions that often was brought up to us is, what's the extensibility in the things that are going on in the, our customer base that drives the expansion of our business? Um, but one of the things that I notice what you're doing is really focused on experience. Yes. Um, an experience of, of the people 
Tell me a little about how you're guiding through that process. Well, several things. Uh, for us, um, everything as a service. Workflow. You know, you've heard that term already. Um, it, much of what we do as a professional services organization has some form of workflow associated with this that involves human interaction. Um, so we, we need to move work around our organization. And I'm not talking about IT. I'm talking about around the entire uh, organization. We need to do that around uh, a, a number of boundaries across geographies, across lines of business. Um, and we are using ServiceNow as our engine to enable that. In, in our speak, we often use the term everything as a service. So everything is some form of service that we are doing uh, for the organization. It's how we think. We're very focused on the experience that our people are having in doing that. Uh, we're listening incredibly carefully to them and engaging with them in the organization about how they use this tool to enable them to, uh, to do their jobs. We're measuring that. So um, they, they have this product called Performance Analytics. We use that extensively throughout our organization to draw metrics around how work is uh, moving throughout our organization. It has become the fabric of, uh, of how we speak. Um, you know, um, I'll bet some of you may have had an IT issue today. Is that true? Anybody had an IT issue today? A smile? Oh, yeah, somebody said they did. What did you do? Did you email somebody? Did you phone them? You don't do that in our organization anymore. You use the app. Um, you'll probably get an immediate response uh, from us in some way. Um, you'll, it has enabled us to enable you in, in terms of what you're, you're doing. And what increasingly I'm finding is people will come to me, hey, that service now thing, no, no offense, They'll, you know, that service now thing, I want that. They'll say, I want that app. I want that button. I want that service. You ask them, well, why, why do you want that? Because I can do things better. I can do things faster. And in our business, everything we're doing is moving at an incredible pace, and it's only accelerating, and ServiceNow is our engine in helping us achieve that. And you've got a fairly demanding group of customers. <laughs> yes. Um, 300,000 uh, high achievers, I guess, that you've got to service every day. 300,000 type A's. Uh, in our business, and there's probably a few thousand people like Dan who think they could actually be the CIO. Only one. Uh, and um, yeah, and uh, that's true actually. And then you actually give them a taste of what it takes, and it's uh, it's an interesting challenge. Um, but we are we are using this tool to to make a difference. It's truly transformed how we're doing IT within the organization. So I was going to ask this question, but I, I will. So, I mean, this is an interesting virtuous cycle. So you've got people who are wanting to embed the technology and the, the tools, and then you've got, Dan, your team out there facing with customers. Yes. And some of them are consuming the, the technology and Correct. then being able to apply from their own experiences Correct. with Deloitte. So that's it's a vicious cycle that works really well, yes. And... Um, if you think about uh, if you think about that, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we we are on a customer-facing side, in a business of staying, you know, two or three steps ahead. That's our business, you know, um, across the portfolio of things that we do. And so when we met, and you know, we had conversations around service now and so on, uh, we saw the vision of transformation, um, and we were talking about how we get there, how you get there as well at the same time. So it was really. Um, Really pleased and refreshing to hear the vision and the uh, uh, the conversation that happened earlier in this room. Um, and so, from that perspective, you know, our first project when we uh, when we engaged with the CIO uh, of oil and gas company out of all places, because um, they're not known really for innovation, but at the time they were uh, they were under significant cost cutting pressure. Um, 
our first project at the time was just about half a million dollars. And in our world, that's considered a relatively small project. Um, you know, we will look five, five years forward, five, six years forward. Um, since we met, we earned probably about half a billion dollars working in professional services with ServiceNow. Over that period of time. Over that period of time, yes. Um, so our growth has been, and this year we, uh, uh, we eclipsed about $130 million um, in global revenues, professional services only. And so when I look at that business, just last, last year, last week, I was at the Global Technology uh, Summit for Deloitte. It's a group of global technology leaders from, uh, from uh, what we call tier one countries, so US, UK, Germany, Canada, Australia. Um, and I was presenting on ServiceNow as uh, potentially globally funded alliance for next year, and that's going to be the case for us. Um, I tabled a plan to grow this business to be a billion dollar a year business over, in the next five years. So uh, the upside is significant, the growth is significant, and uh, our technology leadership and broader leadership in Deloitte absolutely is responding to that. So I just will make the editorial on how important this is from our sales channel perspective. When Deloitte's out there talking about transformational agendas, they're not doing it with mid-level people in an organization. They're coming in at the CIO, CFO, COO level and having a conversation that we couldn't have by ourselves six years ago. Yeah. And so this is an accelerant for us, and it's, it's really why you're seeing ServiceNow um, do many broader things. It's the vision of what Stephen did inside your company and what you're seeing as possible. And I'll tell you that seven years ago, I didn't fully see that opportunity and truly understand the power of the global SI organizations on how transformative they could act. And so we're just feeling like we're just getting started Absolutely. on the journey, um, but it's been super important for us as a go-to-market team and a success team. Um, yeah, Dave, and uh, I mean, you know, it is a journey, and, uh, and although, you know, again, we, we, we were at this for about six years, we feel uh, we're just starting as well. And uh, the reason for that is, you know, um, when we look at who owns this, this agenda in our organization, uh, historically it's been CIO just because of the nature of the product and transformation that was bringing to the table. Uh, but this year uh, we see, uh, you know, emergence of CHRO as a, as a buyer for, for your product. We see COO uh, as a potential buyer. We see C chief marketing officer. And, you know, on one hand that, cre that creates more complex um, uh, you know, a uh, situation on a, on a, on a, within a client in terms of the governance and ownership and how they go and actually uh, implement a transformation using ServiceNow. But on the other hand, it really is fueling our growth significantly because historically that's our market. Those are our relationships and we brand permission. We have brand permission and, uh, and, and know how to engage them. Well, and I think that, again, Steve, you're, Stephen, your, your lessons on how you brought us in it was a highly distributed organization Yet you, you had courage in, in a, an approach. Can you maybe back up a little bit, tell people how, we got that how you got that done? Sure. Because that became the, the template for everyone else. As I, as I listened to my colleague uh, Dan talking about how we did that, <clears throat> and the, um, or, or who our buyers are, um, I'll illustrate it with an example. Um, I, um, I often, I'm a member of our investment board, and we make decisions about where we spend our money, and that includes how we invest in technology. So uh, today, when you come to that investment board, we will have people come and present workflow ideas or ways to improve our productivity. When they bring an idea that has a service now at its foundation, 
all the other people around that table immediately understand what they're asking for. So that has the chief marketing officer, the chief head of HR, the CFO, the COO, those type of people. They all understand that. And what's very interesting is is that business case typically gets an easier ride because they already understand what's being asked for. How do we get there? Credibility is the one word I would use to describe that. We said, we're going to go do this. We're going to spend this money. You're going to like it, and we're going to deliver the results for you. And four months later, that came true. So they immediately saw the return, and that just took off like uh, like lightning uh, in our organization, both uh, from a Canadian lens and then the other parts of the world that I was describing to you. So you had this story of where we had, we had credibility. We were being successful. We, um, we then went and did more successful things. We were able to show people that service management, we can make a difference. We can show a, a difference from a workflow perspective. We had people beating a path to our door to ask for more solutions. This was all in an 18-month period. So then I, I went to the, the, the investment board, and I said, I've got an idea. Let's look at this more strategically. We got a small group of us together. And we, and we started to reflect on how could we do this. And inside of three to four months, we had a proposal of how we'd go about doing this around the world. And again, at this core was credibility. We were being successful. So we then went and presented our idea. And we made the following decisions. We will adopt a globally consistent workflow tools and service management tools. We will enable all of that by ServiceNow. We made the decision to, to invest deeply. So that's the third stage of the contract I was just describing to you. We made the agreement that we would tell everybody in the world that they had to move on to ServiceNow by uh, May of 2020, which is, uh, oh, what, less than two years from now. And, and uh, we're on the path uh, to do that. Um, today, we're running over 50 projects that are about enabling our organization through ServiceNow, and we have more than that in our, in our demand pipeline. And many of these strategic buyers, they now work directly with us on what aspect of their organization we're, we're next going to enable. So all this came about credibility. We had the success. We essentially took the permission to declare worldwide across all kinds of different disparate uh, decision-making bodies, this is going to be the standard, and we've set about to do that. And it all is driven by credibility. We're simply successful at getting this done. So this everything as a service is driving an engagement layer in a process workflow layer across the enterprise. And you're going, people, are people coming to you or are you going to the business or is it a mix right now? Yeah, it's, it's a mix. Um, it, it's as simple as it's one portal. You go into one system. I need to get something done. Irrespective of which application, and we have thousands of them around the world, irrespective of what geography, what line of business you're in, or what thing I need done, I need help getting something done, and I probably don't even know where to go get it. We've simply obfuscated all that. It's, it's irrelevant. and said, come into this portal. It's on the mobile device. It's on the laptops, and you, and you start from there. And it's up to us to orchestrate, move that around to the relevant people. The key that we can do with this tool is we usually get it to the person or the part of our organization that can service that uh, immediately. So we have that type of dialogue with the decision makers, and they see the speed of that, that we are able to move at. Um, they are quite receptive to this ongoing investment. Thank you. So we have a big focus on customer success. And um, from very early on, 
you had some desires of us as a business partner to you around both how we'd cover your account and then what your expectations are around service. Maybe you can give some insight and perspective on how you're observing both the structural changes or support and the impact it has on you. Yeah, it's, uh, and I'm sure Dan can speak to it as he encounters it in our clients. Um, I, uh, I was sitting at the back waiting to come up to speak, and I texted a couple of the key people that work with me on this, and I said, hey, if I were to ask you why you, you personally committed to ServiceNow, what, what would your answer be? And one of the answers that came back from the three people I texted was because they were committed to our success. Unprompted. That's the question I asked, really one of the key drivers that is helping us get this work done. They're committed to our success. And I earnestly believe that because I see it. So here we are, you know, we're now a little over three years into our relationship in using, uh, in using this tool to run our business. And it's simply been the story that we've seen um, all the way along. Now, as an organization, they've grown over that period of time. We've seen their processes mature. Uh, we're a member of product councils where we can help advise on the product. Some of the enhancements you're seeing in, in the uh, roadmap coming are things that are, we're, are very important to our business. We have people dialoguing with us today on virtual assistance. We're already experimenting with some of that. If I were to give you a simple, a simple little graph of um, what's happening in our business, our call volumes are dropping. We well, say that's, that means less people need help. Actually, no, that's not true. Our actual number of tickets, as they're called, are going through the roof. How, so how are you dealing with that? Well, IM chat. We're already using it today inside of ServiceNow. We now do re resolve more things that people need done for them by IM chat than we do over the phone. We're more productive, and they're happier uh, with that. It's really quite phenomenal. Our volumes have doubled in terms of the last three years. We haven't added a single support person to the organization, yet our volumes have doubled. Now, present that business case to somebody. People are going to buy that uh, type of business case quite quickly. So uh, it's that level of commitment to success that is making this happen. We, we call our account rep, who we have a very good relationship with. We have a strategic relationship and network across the world that we're, uh, we're working with, and they're all aligned on the same goals. We give them the decks that describe our strategy. They, in turn, bring us on the insight of uh, where they're going with the product, and that this is a relationship that's uh, working very, very well, and I, I believe only accelerating in terms of what we see happening. Stephen, you're spending your own money and your partner's money, and so I'm sure that you're having to measure the outcomes and report on them. It seems like that's well underway. Yeah, tr tremendously so. So uh, we measure things like, um, I, I just mentioned, you know, volume of incidents or requ service requests would be the term we use, more than doubled in the past three years. No headcount increase. Our um, self-service uh, knowledge articles, over 80% uh, of our incidents are resolved, uh, come into us through self-service. Uh, over 70% are resolved at the first point of contact it's a bit of an art to get that incident that somebody needs help with to the first person that can actually uh, solve that. So those types of metrics are just driving a tremendous uh, success for us uh, around, our, uh, around our organization. I think we're seeing the same thing in our client experiences. Yeah, I think uh, you know, if I was to reflect on a similar question, outward facing in terms of you know, work with service now, I think uh, um, you know, the, the expectation that our customers used to have 
uh, was the one that we tried to change, uh, which was, you know, hey, we have this, this archaic system, we need to replace it with a new one. Uh, I think over the last two years, and I would say over the last 18 months in particular, the conversation is changing significantly to be focused on, um, on, on broader transformation, I would say. I think in that context, um, you know, our, our relationship with ServiceNow, I would say, is working, working really well. Um, I think from a cultural fit perspective, um, you know, even, even before the, the, the most recent leadership change, I think, Dave, you built really high-performing team that's out there in a, in a marketplace uh, that is engaging very effectively, understanding customer issues and, uh, uh, and driving, uh, driving the right types of conversations. And, um, and more often than not, um, you know, we complement each other in the marketplace in terms of, uh, you know, pushing each other to be more... Um, more, more efficient and more, more holistic about really tackling the customer problems. And it wasn't once, um, you know, and, and by the way, uh, you know, there was a award ceremony last night for partners as well. We got another reward, so thank you for that, for a largest deal. Um, this is probably third in a row uh, largest deal award. Why? Well, because we understand and can work together around, uh, you know, uh, corralling very complex enterprise environments and having them, um, you know, move forward uh, in terms of making the, the, the important decision, oftentimes decision that shapes their careers going forward in terms of what are they going to do with this, um, uh, with, the so with the tool and with transformation. Um, so, so I think the relationship from that perspective, it's very complementary. And uh, you, don't often, uh, you don't often see that in the marketplace with software vendors, uh, but it goes back to the point I made around high-performing team and the team that really cares about customer success. So, you know, one of the things I always, I wake up every morning and I measure uh, growth of the business or, um, you know, how things are changing. And so you mentioned you started, you know, one engagement, 500,000, this year 100 plus million. Yes. So give a range of growth of what's possible this next year. And, and you said 2020, yeah. you know, billion, but incrementally. Yeah, I mean, dollar figure is... Uh, is a scoreboard. You know, that's that's just keeping keeping tabs. But I think what matters most is the lasting impact that that will have on organizations and uh, and the market as whole, as a whole. Um, so in terms of numbers, in terms of the scoreboard, um, yeah, we, we've surpassed 100 million. We're going to going to double our business next year. And the way that we're going to double our business is, um, you know, we, we were, if you will, the reason why this is just a start for us, just a warm-up exercise, is we were incubating this service IT service management business within Global Deloitte, uh, and we just started now to experience the compound growth effect of unlocking our capabilities globally in other businesses and in particular on HR service delivery. We are the largest global HR transformation organization. Um, and when you look at 10 largest uh, global HR transformations, seven of those uh, Deloitte is running. And when I look at that part of our business, um, on its own, it has potential to double uh, our, our, our service now related business this year. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's in isolation of other areas that we now have incubating. Uh, in particular, I would say CSM is, is, is what I think is a dark horse um, that is going to actually come to fruition in an you know, in a, in a industry context in a very serious way, I would say, two years, three years down the road. Um, and then finally, you know, if I think about how our business is structured, um, you know, parts of our business that, that worries about cyber threats and security and, and risk and, and risk advisory uh, is really well positioned to, to take on software asset management, 
security incident response and the GRC parts of your platform and, and, and run with that, both internally and Steven um, is doing that already, but more importantly with our clients. Um, and then if we think about customer experience and uh, employee experience as uh, notions that we see be very prolific in the market, uh, you know, Deloitte's digital practices is starting to come up and, and, and support that and uh, take that to market as a product on its own. And we're really excited about that. And that's co that compounding effect of businesses built around platform is going to get us to be a billion-dollar business five, down, five years down the road. And one of the things that's consistent where I go out to see customers is talent problems, right? They're, they're looking for people. Yeah. They're looking for skills, knowledge, and scale. And, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about how Deloitte's going to meet that that yeah. challenge. Yeah, it's, uh, it absolutely is the challenge. I think if there is a theme of this conference is, you know, capability development, uh, team ramp-ups, and so on. I think, you know, if you think about Deloitte being a 300 or so thousand people organization, we went through these, these growth uh, spurs with uh, different technologies over the last 20 years, you know. Uh, some of those you're familiar with, you know, SAP, Oracle, you know, more recently Salesforce and so on. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, our strategy around talent, and we are in the talent business, Deloitte is in talent, it's people business, that's, that's who we are. We are a mentorship-based organization that grows our talent internally through mentoring and coaching and, and learning as well. So, so we will not go away from our roots, you know. Uh, we, we chose to grow organically and not by acquisition, and in retrospect, I think we made the right decision. Um, uh, so we will continue um, creating opportunities in our, in our communities, in our markets, to, uh, to bring people uh, out of school looking for jobs, generation that's, as we hear in the news, troubled by uh, um, lack of opportunity. We do that very well, and we will continue doing that, and particularly with the, with the new technology like ServiceNow. Um, we also have a portfolio of services, and uh, part of our agility as a business and vitality as a business is, is ability to shift uh, people with uh, similar skill sets across different different uh, business opportunities, and we started doing that. In fact, you know, I'm not going to name any practices, but as we as we grow, uh, we started shifting people from one area uh, of Deloitte that's perhaps a little slow today into into this area. Uh, and it's not just necessarily service now; it's it's broad enterprise transformation, employee experience transformation, and uh, uh, customer transformation. And I mentioned at the beginning, at the, as a part of my intro, that, I, that, that one of my roles is to be on a global uh, leadership team for a broad set of alliances and ecosystems. I think, you know, when I look at our ecosystems, and when we think about both customer and uh, employee transformation, ServiceNow is, you know, front and center in that ecosystem together with some of our uh, some of the other other alliances that we have, like Apple, for example, and uh, and Amazon or Adobe as well. So so it's becoming fabric of our of our broader business and certainly enabler to our growth. I would I would echo Dan from an internal perspective. We've done the same thing. Um, we're we're moving people around. Um, you can do that with uh, with talent. Uh, this is this is pretty cool technology, and our people like it. They like working in it, and, and they really like how fast they can deliver results to their clients, their organizations. So um, it, right from the very beginning of a co-op student coming into the organization can get introduced to this and can get knowledgeable quickly to some of our most seasoned delivery people. They are, they are really excited to get into this because they can see the impact that this is having on our organization, and that's what really, really good technology people get excited about is the ability to make an impact. Uh, in the organization at an enterprise level, 
And so that's exactly what we're doing. We're taking people from other parts of our business and getting them tooled up in service now and then pointing them at this from a transformational perspective. And it uh, is going extremely well for us. One of the things that I'm noticing, um, Dan, is the verticalization element. Mm-hmm. That when you're starting to go in and work with clients, that they're, you may start off horizontally, solving an IT or other HR service management discipline. But all of a sudden, you're starting to go down a telco arena or a financial services arena and starting to solve other problems. You want to yeah. kind of comment on what you're seeing? A great observation. And, uh, you know, if, if we think about professional services organization, I think it's, it's, it's any, anyone. Uh, but Deloitte in particular, our go-to-market is, uh, is industry, uh, is industry focus. Uh, our relationships are with industry and, and accounts in industry. And, and, and then what we bring to it is capabilities like service management, like ServiceNow and so on. And so um, if, 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 if you think about the potential that we are, we are, we are capturing today and uh, some of our clients, uh, you know, uh, that are across these different industries certainly are starting to see, see the upside uh, and the problems that uh, we can jointly solve. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a journey, I would say, of a client maturity, you know, client vision, uh, maturity of client vision. And, um, and, and that's what excites us. This is why with confidence we can say that this business is just going to continue growing and exploding because you can almost see that moment when, when, when customer the light switch goes on, and all of a sudden, you know, a vertical solution appears that we, that's actually now doable and executable and solvable using, using the platform. And um, so in terms of our, our own growth, um, uh, again, the theme is we're just starting is, you know, we, we, we now know, um, have, have comfort with the platform, have comfort with the leadership team, have relationships in the market with ServiceNow, and are now taking that next step in terms of taking the platform into industries and, uh, and solving some of the most challenging problems that organizations would experience in that. And, and sometimes we take industries and, uh, and businesses as granted. You know, we see these businesses growing and, and you know, generating significant revenues, and, and you think everything is working fine. Uh, but you know, when you're on inside, when you're talking to the leadership, when you're talking to people driving these businesses, you realize how challenging it is and how much upside there is for them. To, to, to transform, to change, to, say, to, say, to cut costs, to provide better experience for their employees, for their customers, to, to provide you know, more visibility into, into their business. And, and in some cases, you know, surface um, the promise of last five years in terms of digital transformation, truly accomplish it uh, through, through a deploying a platform like this. Well, guys, thank you very much for being here, driving your own digital transformation and letting us participate in that and for building a practice that's really moving mountains within our customer base and and helping us rethink about ourselves as a provider as well. And we appreciate the partnership. So thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. So next I'm going to introduce Mike Scarpelli uh, to come back up on stage. Thank you all for being here today. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is sustainable growth. Uh, John, today, he walked you through our simple framework of why, what, and how, or more specifically, 
our purpose, our strategy, and our culture. CJ then walked you through his key strategy, which is all around product innovation. We are delivering to our customers what our customers are asking for. You then heard from Dave and one of our top customers, as well as GSI's Deloitte. Um, hopefully that has um, inspired you a little bit about where this can go with many of our customers. And there's a long ways to go just within um, Deloitte, and they are one of our top 10 customers right now and growing. Um, and now I'm going to focus on sustainable growth. Um, how have we been sustaining this high rate of growth? What's driving that growth? Um, and, you know, many customers, they, or many not customers, companies have these really quick spurts of high growth. But those really long, enduring companies, they really have this high growth at, over a long period of time. And I think we can demonstrate that we can do that. So um, key takeaways for today that I really want you guys to get across is consistent performance. We have a history of consistent performance. We think we can continue to perform. Market opportunity. This is a massive market opportunity. Um, I've been with the company now for seven years, and I remember the days when we were going public and going to many of you in this room. There's actually a few of you in this room that I remember from our IPO. But I remember hearing, oh, it's a $1.4, $1.6 billion market opportunity you're going after. That is a backward-looking way. We are creating new opportunity, and I'm going to show you really how big this market could be potentially. Um, and then we're going to talk about our financial model. We are very proud of our financial model. We think we are one of those companies that has been able to grow at a very high pace, yet we have continued year after year to give leverage both from a free cash flow and an operating model. And we're going to hopefully get across to you how we think this can continue for quite some time. So our growth, as I mentioned, we've shown consistent performance. There's not many companies who can show you this type of growth. Um, at this scale, that is the important thing at this scale. In 17, we grew 39%, almost doing 2 billion. This year, we're going to do close to 2.6 billion, we've, we've said. And then couple this with our free cash flow. Our free cash flow actually last year, and it has been growing faster than what our revenue has been growing. And I think we still have room to continue to expand our free cash flow. But the real important thing here is the scale at which we're able to deliver these things. And when you couple this, this is what we're really proud of. If you look at our growth, our scale and profitability performance in a vacuum, um, it's unmatched relative to our peers when you combine that with our growth and free cash flow. Looking at every enterprise software company with north of a billion in revenue, we are the leader in revenue and free cash flow. 64%. The next is 63, and then it, or 63, and then it quickly drops off. This is really unparalleled um, growth. And what's driving this? So in 2013, 5% of our business was coming outside of IT. Today, 34% of our business is coming from outside of IT. And emerging products are really driving. You heard Deloitte, Dan, talking about where he really sees the opportunity for customer success in HR. Each of these in and of themselves are billion-dollar market, multi-billion-dollar market opportunities. Security operations, Deloitte is a big security customer. You heard Stephen talk about that. But that's another big market in and of itself as well. 
Um, these emerging products are what are going to get us there, well beyond the $4 billion we've talked about before in 2020. Now, it's really important that we continue to grow our relationships with our biggest customers. If you look at our three biggest customers back since 2013, almost 100% of that business was IT-related. You look at our three biggest customers today, it's still 75% plus IT-related, but you're now starting to see the platform, the emerging products. And what I can't stress enough here is IT is still growing within our customers. You heard Stephen at Deloitte. They still haven't rolled out it completely around the world within Deloitte. Sure, they're tier one countries, but there's more to grow there. That's just one example. And that is consistent that many of our customers, many of you work for banks in here that are customers, and many of you at those banks, it's still just a fraction of what it can be within those banks. And IT is still the driver there. Um, one of the things that's really misunderstood by many people is what are we replacing? We have been replacing for many years, 90% plus of our replacements, our wins, are coming at the hands of legacy software vendors. That's no surprise. But manual workflows, you see in 2017, 25% of our wins were against manual workflows. Very little of our wins are coming from modern technology. There is still massive growth opportunity just within the legacy software and these manual processes that are happening within companies. That's where ServiceNow is ripe to win. So how big is this market opportunity? You know, um, there was a study done and they were really looking at um, how much work in an enterprise is done in a structured way and an unstructured way. And what we've seen is that 60% of work within organizations is unstructured work today. That is ripe for ServiceNow to go after. That is kind of where our, our core um, growth is coming from. And then if you look at the work that's being done by people within enterprises today, 61% of work is spent on administrative work. Much of this administrative work is answering emails, answering phone mails, gathering information, everything done in a very unstructured way. If you take the salaries of all of those people, that's $575 billion is spent annually on, these, on this administrative work. And a lot of that work, and I would say even a majority of that work, can be put into a system like ServiceNow to put it into a structured workflow to resolve these things. I'm not saying we're going to get $575 billion, that's people's salaries, but we're going to make those people more efficient so they can become more productive. And at the end of the day, that is why people buy ServiceNow, because of the productivity enhancement that's happening within those enterprises. When Stephen was up here, he was talking about how much more productive Deloitte. He didn't say they were firing people. He just said they didn't have to add any more people, and they become so much more productive. That is why people buy ServiceNow. And you can just read at the bottom. There are many different examples of all of these unstructured um, workflows that are happening within companies in a very manual way today. Now, let's look at the market opportunity. So, you know, in 2015, when we stood at our financial analyst day, we started really talking about Global 2000. And the reason we started talking about Global 2000 was to just show people it was really a proxy for how we're going to get to that $4 billion in revenue. If you remember at the time, we said, you know, we had 20 a quarter, grow up 4%. 
They've been 50% of our revenue. They continue to be 50% of our revenue. That's how we're going to get to that $20 billion. That was really just a proxy. Today, we're 43% penetrated within the global 2000. Long ways to go in there. But it's really not the global 2000 we focus on. We focus on large enterprises. There's roughly 28,000 plus enterprises in the world that have more than a half a million in revenue or a half a billion in revenue, 500 million and 1,000 employees. That is who we go after. Um, it's really not the global 2000. And you're going to hear us talk more about large enterprises going forward. And I will tell you in next year, we're probably not even going to talk about global 2000. We're going to talk about large enterprise. Uh, we'll continue to update our enterprise customers in our K annually. Um, but it's really those large enterprise, and that's what's going to cause us to grow. So if you look at our customers paying us more than a million a year, you go back to 2013, 23% of those were non-G2K. Today, 37% of those are non-G2K that are paying us more. You're actually seeing commercial customers pay us more than a million a year. And those are really coming from some of those emerging products. CSM, we're seeing million-dollar-plus deals in CSM in the commercial segment. That is just supporting more why it's not G2K, it's large enterprises we're going after, and they can be commercial accounts as well, too. Now, looking at our global 2000, if you just look at those customers we have, our large enterprise, or all of our customers we have, they have roughly 100 million employees when you aggregate them all together. Well, we only have 18 million users licensed, or 18%. There's a lot of room for growth within our existing customers because we think one day with our products that we have and products that we will come out with, every single employee within a company should be licensed on ServiceNow. So there's a huge opportunity in front of us within our installed base of customers. And, and you can see this in terms of our net new ACV. Where is most of our net new ACV coming from? Most of our net new ACV comes from our existing customers. It's not coming from new customers. A big misconception that people have, when we land a global 2000, the average G2K, and it's been pretty consistent since I've been with the company, is it's somewhere between two and 300,000 a year is what we land a global 2000. We're not landing global 2000 on average at two, three million a year. Yes, you can get those happen. But the, on average, many of our G2Ks we add, they start at 50,000 a year. And you're going to see an example in a minute. If you actually look at, so for all of 17, 20% of our net new ACV came from new logos, new customers. 80% came from our installed base of customers. That is why when John was talking about customer success, why it's so important, because that is what, we, if we have happy customers, we see that our customers are successful in consuming service now, they will buy more from us. Um, actually, in Q1, 84% of our net new ACV came from existing customers. And, and this is a slide that I'm probably the most proud of because you just don't see these with, a, with any other software company out there. This is showing our cohort analysis. We started tracking this in 2010, something investors, I remember, asked in 2013, what's your cohort analysis look like? So in 14, we started showing people this. And you can see... The annual growth and in initial ACV from our customers continues to grow, and this includes losses as well, too. This isn't just looking at existing customers that we still have today. That also includes losses. You can't find another software company that can show you this cohort analysis. Now, I want to show you what a typical 
I don't, I, actually, I shouldn't say typical because there is no typical. Many people have always said, what is the typical progression of a customer? Well, we pulled one of our Fortune 50 customers, and this is their progression. They first became a customer in 2012, 50000 a year. And who would have known today they're spending $8 million a year with us? And you may say, well, is that customer fully penetrated? Well, what I will tell you is we think this can become a $20 million-plus opportunity. If I just look in the next two years with this customer, there's 8 to $9 million in pipeline, and there's more room beyond that with our existing products today. This is not factoring in any new products that may come in. So every customer matters, um, and it's all about landing these large customers, and I can't stress enough, not just public. There's a lot of private companies in public sector, and we will see this growth. This is not uncommon growth. Yeah, it's maybe a little bit higher, but many of our customers um, have grown like this over the year. And the, the, one of the most kind of satisfying things, too, about the company is our first of our first 10 customers, Fred started the company in 2004, eight are still customers today. We don't lose customers. Why is that? They're happy with what we're doing. So let's talk now about um, the investments we're going to make. John? mentioned earlier his four key initiatives for this year um, it's really we're going to continue with our product in uh, UI UX innovation um, customer success I can't stress enough customer success is an important investment for service now because that is going to drive our growth the next is we need to grow our talent our talent is critical to our growth and it's not just hiring people it's retaining our people we have today and seeing those people grow. We're spending a lot more time today on training. It's not something we ever focused on, I must admit, in the time before when I was with the company. Um, it's really since John has come on board that we're really focused on that and really established the company brand and purpose. And we're seeing this, as John mentioned, it's resonating with our employees, but it's really resonating with our customers. You heard Deloitte. That was unscripted when they were listening to that for the first time here. This is resonating with customers. Co companies want to deal with companies that have a purpose that align to their purpose. And um, that's an important thing for us. So what you guys are all waiting for. I know you're really waiting for one slide. So, um, you know, I'm going to turn to the model now. And what I want to stress is um, we're, we're not going to update you with a new number. Um, we really are growing this company to be that $10, $15 billion company. We really do think that opportunity is there. Um, we see our 2020 revenue. I'm just going to say it's going to be greater than $4 billion. We feel very, very good about that. And I will tell you, back in 2015, it w really was a spreadsheet to get there. Today, we have real strategy behind how we get to that $4 billion. And I can tell you, a bigger portion of that is subscription than we thought at the time as well, which is recurring. Um, we're pretty much at that um, non-GAAP subscription gross margin, 84 to 86. I don't see much upside to that. And annual operating margin. So we do a detailed budgeting process every year. We generally start around in August, and we lock it down in December. Um, and we came into this year. We're giving two points expansion this year when you factor in 606 and what we've done. And we're just going to say right now it's going to be greater than 1%. And it's going to change every year because we think there is such a massive opportunity in front of us that we would be foolish not to invest. We're going to continue to be very disciplined, 
Our main focus is revenue growth, but it's not growth at all costs. Number two, it's we're very focused on free cash flow. And number three is operating margin. Um, we do see free cash flow continuing to expand. I'm just going to say it's greater than zero. I would say if operating margin is expanding too, you'll get at least one in free cash flow. Um, and then our non-GAAP tax rate, a lot of people are asking, we're still working through a number of things with tax reform, is going to be greater than 20% or is going to be around 20%. Um, what I will say is I want to make sure people know that our free cash flow has been going up very nicely. A lot of that is we're not paying cash taxes in the U.S. We have a number of NOLs. That will switch over time. It's a good thing because it means we're very profitable um, over time. Um, and I do see that kind of um, plateauing as we get kind of in 2024, 2025, because that's when we'll start to pay cash taxes in the U.S. And with this type of growth, with hiring, we're going to add roughly – 16 to 1800 people this year we're still keeping our dilution below three percent we're very focused on that and over time you'll continue to see that um, go down with that um, i'm going to now open it up for q a but before i start with your hands i'm going to have john come back up on stage cj come up on stage and if cj is here still um, and dave schneider and i'll give you a chance to talk is, ask is. questions to all of us so let's just wait for them to come back up I think Dave's still with Deloitte. Oh, um, Dave's still in the back. We can start without Dave. Yeah. I'll he, play he Chief on. Revenue Officer. Okay. <laughs> By the way, go Warriors. I got my Warrior jacket on today. <laughs> I'm bummed about the Sharks. <laughs> Let's just wait till CJ comes up. Okay. Unless your question's not for CJ, you can start handing out and Dom, the Dom, um, can you check to see to if Dave, I think Dave's still talking to the... Kirk. Uh, thanks very much, and Kirk Matern from Evercore ISI. Thanks for the, the time today and the, and the overview over the next few years about how you guys are thinking about the business. I guess the question as it relates to sort of the longer-term vision to get to, you know, $10 billion, $15 billion in revenue uh, after what Mike just presented is, where do you think you need to be investing more? Is it product? Is it distribution? You guys have been incredibly efficient to date. Uh, I'm just wondering when you guys think about those budget meetings a year from now, two years from now? Is it giving CJ more? Is it giving you know, Dave more? I'm just kind of curious if there's, a, if there's a balance or how you're thinking about that. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the dialogue we're having is how do we build more capacity? More, more. So how do we build more innovation capacity in, in CJ's organization? Probably a year ago when CJ took over, 99% of his organization was focused on stuff that delivered in quarter or in year. And now with, with uh, the incubator, now X, whatever we're calling it, and he's looking at other ways to increase intelligent investment and innovation. Dave, investing in customer success, as you know, Dave owns our go-to-market and our customer success. We talk about how can we invest more in driving faster customer success because when the quality of a relationship, if we have more relationships like Deloitte, we're going to grow. And so... A lot of our dialogue at this point, we can't spend more money smartly this year, we don't feel like, but we're trying to build the bandwidth where we can do it intelligently. And those would be two of the key areas. And then I'd say, I'd say, you know, company brand. You know, I was saying in the break, um, some people are asking me about company brand. We're going to learn our way into that. We're doing a brand tracker, what our aided and unaided awareness is, and we'll begin to spend intelligently around building our company brand. If we find something that we really think will move the needle, We'll come to you and say, we think this moves the needle, and thus we're going to spend X on company brands. So those, 
those would be the three areas that I think could be impact margin. I think I think talent will continue to invest in, but I think that's that we can do within our current operating model. Anything you guys add? I think I think you hit it. I mean, we have plenty. So the, the nice thing is we have a lot of market to go after, and it's just doing it intelligently to make sure customers are driving their success. So. I mean, I, I think we would say our risk is under-investing, not yeah, over-investing. I, I, I would agree. And so, agree. so this is not going to be a massive pendulum swing. This is like, all right, how do we intelligently build the capacity so we can take advantage of what's a wonderful growth opportunity? I, w I would add we're going to invest very heavily in our partner ecosystem oh, as well, yeah. too. You heard yeah. Dan from Deloitte talking about he sees this as a billion-dollar opportunity for their business. I would love that because they'll have to hire a lot of people, and they're going to have to pay those people, and they're going to help drive even more business for us. So that's so important. You get to pick. Um, oh, here, just over there then. Uh, Jonathan Keyes, uh, Summit Insights. Um, I actually, I want to ask about the financials. Uh, you talked about um, your top three priorities. I noticed you didn't mention gap profitability. Is that still on track for in several quarters? Uh, update on that. And also um, want to ask about uh, your capital plans. There was that uh, press release about the mix shelf. You have the 2018 you've been paying it off. Sure. That's coming this year. Are you going to take, just take more money to pay that off? And then Nope. Good question. You're so. the first to ask that question today. Um, so um, the first thing is, is in terms of gap profit, profitability, um, I do see – um, on a quarterly, there will be towards the end of this year, but 2019, we will be gap profitable. Now, a lot of that depends upon um, stock-based compensation, and it's not how many shares we issue, it's where our, our stock price goes, um, because that does impact that somewhat. A in terms of the shelf registration, um, so with six, that was really, we have no plans at all, and um, the reason we filed that self shelf registration is with 606, um, like most companies, we restated our 2016 and 17 numbers. If there was an M&A deal where we were acquiring a company, which would most likely be a small company, and that company, we really wanted them, but they insisted on shares to get a tax-free deal, and they want to share in the upside, they would want registered shares. And by having that S3 on file, we can quickly grant those shares. Now that we're filing the queue, actually today or tomorrow, if we had filed the queue without the S3, we wouldn't be S3 eligible because then you have to have three years of restated financial statements that have been audited and would cost about a million dollars more to do that and the time it would take. That's why we filed the S3. Um, that cost sensibility will never lose. That I love about this company. Keith. And it costs less than $50,000 to file it because <laughs> no bankers were involved. <laughs> Hi, Keith Bachman from Bank of Montreal. Mike, just a qu clarification and a question for Paul. The clarification, you mentioned that as long as operating margins grew by greater than 1%, that we would, I think you said you would get a bump in the free cash flow margins as well. I, what I said was if, if operating margins are growing too, we should get about one, po one point improvement okay. in um, free cash flow. Okay. The, Paul, the, the, the broader question I wanted to direct to you, you were talking about, uh, M&A a bit, and you raised, uh, I think, the specter of perhaps doing more deals. You even used the word large. And so I wanted to just ask you on two dimensions. Uh, one, how should we be thinking? What does the word large mean to you? And then second dimension is what areas are you thinking about? Because most or all your deals have been more tuck in, and, and ServiceNow talks actively about you're a, a common platform, so it's easy to go to market, easy to upgrade. 
uh, would you still say, still stay within that thread even if you're doing potentially some larger deals? Thank you. Well, here's the way we're thinking about it now. And this will, I think, evolve, which is we feel like the organic growth opportunity we have off our existing platform is significant. You know, you heard me describe it, you heard CJ, and then you heard, I thought, the Deloitte, both internal and external use, a billion-dollar business with existing products is what he was talking about. So we think that's, that's significant. So job one, two, and three is to capitalize on that organic growth opportunity. And if tuck-in acquisitions can accelerate that, great. And, and we're going to do as many as we can. That, and, and CJ's got that, that power to do that. But if you look at you look at 10 billion, there are very 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 few companies, if any, in the world that are 10 billion off one growth engine, right? You just look at what other analogies have done, and so uh, eBay eventually bought PayPal, right? Uh, Google bought YouTube and 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 um, Android. Uh, Facebook eventually bought Instagram and WhatsApp. So. We're not focused on that right now because we think in the next one to three years, executing against our organic growth opportunity is job one, two, and three. And we don't know. I hope that, that our organic growth opportunity off one platform could be $10 billion. If it can, great. But we are starting to look at what are some of the adjacent markets, where are places we can deepen our product portfolio, are there obvious candidates to be a second growth engine at some point? And we're beginning, and that's where I said Lara's leading this, beginning to look at it. We don't anticipate taking action in the next 12 to 18 to 24 months, but, but we're beginning to look at it. And as we learn and grow and develop hypotheses, we'll, we'll, we'll share them with you. And, so, and then, you know, large acquisitions, I don't think there's a need to do anything radical when you have this kind of organic growth engine. And I'll just, uh, John, if I may, I'll just add one thing on that point. You know, we get asked this question quite a bit that even in ITSM, which is our core and largest business today, you know, have you reached X percent market share? Or We still feel, based on all the numbers we have seen, we did, like John said, analysis in the summer, fairly detailed analysis. We are still in the upper teen percent on the market share in ITSM today, despite, you know, uh, the great run we had over the past few years, and Dave and the team, uh, whether it's customer success or whether we feel on the actual selling motion, there are still many, many opportunities on our core IT business. So I don't. Want, that's why I said IT will still continue to be core, and I still feel there is quite a bit of headroom on IT, and that's why what John said, one, two, three, we continue to execute on that. Carl. Oh, thanks, uh, Carl Kiris to the Deutsche Bank. Uh, Mike, <clears throat> presumably some of these um, investments are going to have a payoff that will come, you know, sooner than later. So uh, why not raise the $4 billion 2020 target? Why not raise it to 4225 under the assumption that a lot of the investments you're going to make in the next 18 months will pay off? A um, couple things. Um, one, in 2015, when we put out that four, it was just four as a nice round number. And as we're getting closer to 2020, what company actually gives you detailed guidance three years out? We're going to give you guys annual guidance. We're giving you through 18, and we'll give you guidance in 
19, and I'd like to have upside in 20. There's no upside to me to do that or and us to do that. And I promise you, I've been around this block before. If we said 425s, you'd say, oh, why only 425? We said 43, why only 43? We said 411. So there's not a lot of value added of picking a number, at least as we talked about it. We're telling you we're confident we're going to make it. So it enables you guys to actually build your models and share it with your, <laughs> your, your customers. Adam. Uh, it's Adam Holt from Moffat Nathanson. I'm glad you guys got some seats. I was a little worried. Um, <laughs> I, I've got some questions about the, the new products. Uh, John, when we've talked in the past, you've suggested that the, the new products, one to two a year, aren't actually in the revenue forecast. So I just want to make sure to confirm that for the, for the broader group. And then secondly, can you walk us through, you know, what your experience has been in terms of the time to ramp for some of the recent new products? I think a couple of them, um, you know, customer service and security were launched, I think, two years ago. Um, you know, what that revenue ramp has been like, and HR was last year, what that revenue ramp has been like. And so we can get a sense for, you know, what could be, you know, coming from some of these newer products like DevOps. Thanks. Let me just – I'm going to repeat one of the things I said to a smaller group at the break, so I'll make sure I say the same thing to everyone, and then maybe you can pick yeah, up the, how we're thinking about it. Um, the new products is loosely defined in the sense that some, I think, will be applications that are analogous to an HR or a CSM or security operations, and some will be more capabilities. So, for instance, one of the things we're kicking around now, Internet of Things. We're getting huge demand or requests for Internet of Things. As we develop that product, that end up, may end up being a capability that gets across all products and is a service we can charge across all products, or it may be a new functional a functional application. So the one to two a year does not mean we're going to have five applications, six applications, seven applications, but it means we're going to have functionality that can enhance and grow our footprint and our revenue. Would yep. you say? Yep, agreed. So, and so I'll address your first question, which is as part of uh, phase three, which we called it, uh, you know, four billion by 2020, as John said, when we went through the exercise, any of these new products were not part of that exercise because we did that last summer. So that were existing products, which is the IT portfolio you saw and the emerging portfolio that you saw. So that was the existing product. In the new products ramp, I mean, I will tell you, you know, I, I joined approximately 18 months ago, and it has exceeded my expectation in terms of how nicely in unison this uh, HR, CSM, and security products continue to grow. And that's, uh, you know, a uh, testament to our great uh, go-to-market and distribution engine besides us doing enterprise service management use case. But what we find is that we are actually doing this based on the customer demand. They say, okay, CJ, can you look after financial close process because that's a very manual process or a legal function for contract renewal or something of that sort. Where I'm going with this is we find that because this request has come from customers rather than a science project, that we start getting adoption, and within few quarters, we start getting critical mass. So we just, for our customer service management, uh, literally, I think, two weeks ago, which was launched exactly eight quarters ago, because of our great sales team, we crossed 500 customer mark. I have never seen anything like that. It, it takes about um, from kind of the start when we know we have a, 
product. It takes about three to five years to ramp it to $100 million in revenue. And remember, that's recurring revenue. The goal is that from $100 million to a billion is a lot faster. Keith. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Thank you guys for hosting the analyst day. Um, a question about um, margins. We used to talk. We used to talk to us about uh, growth versus margin frameworks, which would seem to imply like a, a stable unit economics as growth slows down, more margin throws through on the P&L. This year, you didn't talk about a growth versus margin framework. You just gave us kind of minimums of what is going to be at least. Does that imply in any way that the unit economics deteriorate as you target this larger market opportunity? That these investments come at the expense of the underlying unit economics at service now? No. Um, you know, part of the reason is is um, we put that framework out a while ago, um, and we really do think we and we were so focused on just getting to that four billion. It really wasn't beyond that, and I do think we have underinvested in the business, and we really don't want to tie our hands to something. We're going to be very disciplined, and as I said, it's going to be revenue growth, and we're not going to spend money foolishly. We will continue to give margin expansion. But whether it's 1%, 2 or 3%, that's going to change every year based upon the opportunities we see in front of us. Walter. Oh, sorry, you can go to Jen if you want, and Walter can. We need some, get a lady. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the focus on brand and how you think about that brand involving over time. And in particular, you know, the, the traditional route into an organization was go to the CIO and then the CIO and the IT department are, are advocates as other lines of business uh, look at what they could potentially do and then IT really sort of leads the charge. You know, as you think about brand and, and sort of this more strategic type of brand, do you envision seeing more deals being led outside of IT and IT is brought in sort of later in the process or is it still going to be sort of an IT-centric sale and then expanding out once IT sort of bought in? How, how does that change or does that change? I hope the answer to your question is yes. In other words, I, I think that, that IT, as CJ said, and, and you heard really from the Deloitte team, um, IT is playing a more strategic role across the company. CIOs, their, their jobs are changing before our very eyes, and they are teaming up with CHROs. They're teaming up with chief uh, security officers are teaming up with chief marketing officers. And so I, we don't want to lose what we think is a real strength in IT. But when IT goes to their business partners with ServiceNow, it would be really nice if those other C-suite executives haven't heard of ServiceNow and had a positive brand reputation. And I think in the process of doing that, that will also create additional organic demand. And so, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're um, on this Building our company brand, we're just in the uh, the, the early days. Um, I think uh, I thought Dave's question to the Deloitte team about the role of partners raising our visibility with other C-suite executives is spot on, and I, I hope it's both. I guess Walter. Walter. Let's pass it over. Um, uh, either for Dave or for uh, John, not sure who to send it one to, but. Uh, from a sales go-to-market sort of organizational structure, you made some pretty major changes. You showed kind of a summary on one of the slides. Um, I think the, you know, separating enterprise and commercial was a big um, change. You haven't really put in place like sort of a full vertical type of a strategy. You have product specialists but not sort of separate sales forces. Can you talk us through what might be the next evolution and what you're looking to in terms of 
what would indicate to you that it's time to make some of those uh, bigger changes down the road? So I'll, I'll take it. So we moved the commercial enterprise three years ago. 2015. Um, I remember being crucified by many of you uh, for that move, but it was <laughs> absolutely the right move because we were listening to the customers about how they wanted to be covered. And so we're continuing to listen really closely. And it should be noted, we, have a, we do have a very important vertical sales motion, which is the U.S. federal government. And that has been a massive growth engine for us and continues to be so. And we see the value of speaking the language of the customer. So as we go down the motion, whether um, we will find industry verticals uh, to, to specialize in, and um, again, horizontal product with solution providers giving us that vertical element and then making sure our product's ready to meet that need. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question specifically, but um, we are looking at vertical coverage models. I will say at the top of echelon of our customer matrix, the very large enterprise, the customers with more than 100,000 employees that have significant move the dial experience, we're going to continue to focus heavily on making sure we're meeting the needs of that specific customer base um, as a first priority. Alex. Hey, thanks, guys. Alex Sigmund, Piper Jaffray. John, I wanted to ask you a question because you made a really interesting point when you started talking about automation and you started talking about you know having a stake in the ground in terms of does automation you know take jobs away or uh, create more productivity. I wanted to ask in the context of your pricing model, when you think about phase three, how how are you thinking about that today? And then maybe as a follow-up for Mike, how many of your customers today of the largest ones are licensed for everyone in the company? And what's the right way to think about how you get there? Well, on pricing, we're having an active dialogue. I mean, you'll see smiling because we're, we're talking about how does pricing need to evolve, both in the industry, if you have a fulfiller-based pricing model and you have automation, you may ultimately have fewer fulfillers. You heard, you heard Stephen Mansfield talk about that. Um, and that's a good thing, right, is driving productivity. Um, and as we become increasingly relevant across the enterprise and they're buying four or five, six products, each of our products has a slightly different pricing model. And so we're talking about how do we evolve our pricing in a way that's win-win for our customers and us. Um, and it's, it's complicated. What's interesting is you have uh, my experience thus far is their customers will say, well, I want transaction pricing. So Dave and his team will offer up transaction pricing. Say, no, I want predictability. I've got a certain budget. I can't go over it. So you get back to a sort of more of a license approach. So I would say we don't see a need to dramatically change pricing in the short to medium-ish term, but we're trying to get ahead of the curve and figure out how we evolve our pricing models. And, you know, Dave, you're experimenting that with each new customer, really. You're, you're finding new ways. Maybe you can comment on what you see. No, so I think so to answer your question, we are, we're trying really hard um, to capture value appropriately with customers, knowing that automation is going to change the way we count um, licenses. And so as we look at IT service management over time, I think we will see a move towards either per employee, per contract, or transaction levels. Predictability of licensing is a top item for our customers. They're looking uh, for consistency of price so they can budget, and they don't want to be surprised. So we're trying to balance those two out. But we want to drive automation. We want to drive cost savings. So, we, And when we have open conversations with executives, they're very aligned with us. So that land motion, we have to figure that out, how to get through that, uh, because people are used to a certain fulfiller, approver model, um, but we're, we're quickly down the path with our more mature customers. 
And your other question, very few of our customers are licensed every employee wall-to-wall -wall on all of our products. Um, I can't think of any on all of our products. HR, we have some, but a very small portion of our um, customer base. Cash, we'll, move, we'll go to this side, then back. Hey, guys, thank you very much. Cash Ronga with BMR. Two questions for you. One is uh, the company decided to uh, lump IT, OM and ITSM, into one category called IT. Just curious, um, uh, typically when you're going through a growth spurt, you'd want to break out more and more product categories because it's going through a bit of a growth spurt, and that can give us a little bit more confidence that there's a long tail ahead. Just wondering what uh, was the thought process behind the decision to collapse the two categories. And secondly, when we look at the other platform category, clearly the growth is shifting to that area. And we, we rarely hear of any major industry market opportunity without competition. So today we've not really heard about competition. Obviously, you're in a very good position, core ITSM. But if you think about this workflow as a, as a potentially multi-billion dollar market, the platform and workflow uh, categories, who's the likely competition that could end up surprising the company and how you think about positioning that uh, – these things can reflect well as a result of your core competence that you do feel very comfortable given where you are, what your current products do, that you can tackle the competition. Thank you. I'll answer the first part and let Dave the second. Um, the reason we changed the bucketing and including in IT, ITOM, and ITBM, it's really looking at it from the way our buyer buys is why we did that. We're still splitting out ITOM. In the queue, you'll see the ITOM revenue. We're not. That's still transparent there. And in terms of who we see as competition in our emerging products. I'll let Dave talk about that. Well, so I think the first piece is do all of our customers, do the light bulbs go on fully um, to the degree of which Deloitte gets it? And that's what the customer success motion is really designed to go do, is to help those light bulbs go on where they may have seen us as a point solution historically, unlocking the value and making sure we go fully broad to get all the opportunities. So I, I view our competition in some ways as ourselves against that. That's not what you're looking for. Um, you're wanting to know who we're think, seeing in security or HR. Um, in the HR space, I, I think we're in a really fortunate position of being um, a leaning in. Um, the customers are leaning back to us, and they're responding very, very well. Um, and on customer service, I think you know who the players are that we're going to go interrupt, and there, there is a lot of interest and demand for a connected support experience for those customers. And we're finding our, our way through the marketplace um, with, with greater, greater and greater speed. But I can't stress enough who were our wins are coming at the cost of the legacy software, on-prem software, and those manual workflows where there really never was software before. That's 90% plus of our competition. And the competition on the legacy side is not the legacy vendor, it's more customers kicking the can down the road another three months, six months, a year. Remember, these are long sales cycles to do their initial ITSM replacement, but once they're in, these customers just continue to buy more and more as they realize different use cases for service now within IT and other parts of the business. You heard Stephen from Deloitte talk about that. Ramo. Thank you, Ryan Malinchev from Barclays. Um, two quick ones. Um, first, can you comment maybe uh, on uh, Fred Ludy's back as a chair of the board and, and Frank stepped down, like, uh, you know, what drove it and what's the benefits that you see from that one? And then one for you, John, you talked a lot about the changes that the organization needs as we go from, you know, towards five, ten billion. 
now that you're here a year, how do you think about process maturity within ServiceNow? With a great organization, might run a tight chip, um, but you know, where are you in terms of just kind of organization structures, et cetera, to kind of drive the growth now to the next level? Thank you. Yeah, so let me take, I'll take both those. So the, the um, Frank stepping down off the board and Fred becoming chair was part of a, what I think is one of the best, best in practice succession I've ever seen. So that same, that same board meeting where I was hired, we agreed Frank would stay on the board for a year. And Frank wanted to be, make sure that I got up and running well. He was an enormous help to me over the last year. And then Frank was the first to say, you don't need the former guy around. Same way I stepped off the PayPal or the uh, eBay board. Um, and so this was part of an orderly succession process, I think just executed beautifully. And I, I can't emphasize how I tell Frank every day I come in, I pinch myself, and just so appreciative of the company that he built and how beautifully he handled succession. Um, the Fred Luddy decision was really, um, uh, as we thought about it, I had this situation at eBay where Pierre Amidiar was our founder and our chairman. And Fred is got such an incredible background and talent around platform, we, we started talking about engaging Fred more. And Fred wants to be engaged more um, in, in the company. And so the, the act of making him chairman just felt like a natural, a natural um, a response. And he, he's thrilled he'll be here. Uh, I guess he's getting here tomorrow morning. He's um, grading CreatorCon uh, tomorrow night, the CreatorCon contest. And then he and Fred and I are doing a fireside chat on Wednesday night. Our community loves him. And so I think he's going to be a great asset as we continue to evolve our, our platform. And so I'm thrilled, and I think the whole board feels thrilled about it. And again, I want to give credit to our board for the succession process, which has really been very smooth. In terms of just building out our capabilities, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd say, I guess, a couple things that, that strike me, early impressions. One, Mike referenced. Um, there's a real hunger for investment in our people. Not compensation, but investment in training and development and, and them allowing them to more systematically grow their skills. And so um, we've hired a, Pat Waters is our chief talent officer, and she, Pat's been working with all of us to put in place, you know, just some basics, leadership training program, manager training program. Um, we're using what's the LinkedIn product, uh, LinkedIn Live, I think it's something called, where you're able to get training, self-help. We had 2,000 employees that were paying out of their own pocket to access LinkedIn's training program. So it, it just points to the hunger of our employees to grow their skills. So we're investing in the basics and fundamentals there. And then I would say new skill sets. One of the areas that we're talking a lot about is um, we're outstanding at functional execution. And um, we need to continue that, but also we need to get outstanding at cross-functional execution. And something like customer success is the classic cross-functional. And so building those skill sets and, 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 and people to have those kinds of capabilities, both we're bringing them in for the outside and otherwise, I would say that's probably one of the bigger themes in the short to medium term. Kwong. Thanks for taking my question. Um, when I think about some of the um, enduring companies uh, over the last 30, 40 years, you, you know, you came around big paradigm shifts in computing. Uh, with mainframe, you had IBM. With client server, you had Microsoft, Oracle, Intel, Cisco. Uh, now with the cloud and SaaS and whatnot, um, you've got Amazon. 
you got some Salesforce, and then you know it's yet to be determined whether you guys are in that category yet. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me in terms of things that are obvious, in terms of a common thread that is unique to all of them, is that they radically transform organizational productivity for for their customers. I'm just wondering to what extent. Um, you know, you've seen that already in ITSM, but how, what are some of the anecdotal proof points that you have that ITOM, ITBM, CSM, what are, what are the anecdotal data points that actually give you confidence that you're driving the same organizational um, productivity in those categories that you did with ITSM? How do you measure it? What are the KPIs, and how would you actually rate yourself? So, I mean, I... I feel like we have such enormous opportunity here because we, we make workflow automation software. By definition, that's productivity. That's productivity whether it's in HR, in CSM, or in security. What we do was is, is automate workflow, and that's productivity. And I think we're, I would say, so I'm very comfortable, and I think, I think we'd all feel the same, that our platform, and you heard Stephen Mansfield talk about it, drives value creation and productivity, I would say on our ability to measure it and reinforce it, um, I would say we're, we're, we're getting better. Perversely, our customers have not been asking for it historically as much as they're going to begin to ask for it now. And so um, in the last year, Dave's done a great job. Now every, every time a salesperson um, uh, puts a proposal in, they have to have a business value analysis right. next to it. That's now common. The customer success teams are beginning standard measurements. You'll see our customer success center if you go to servicenow.com and our new customer success center. In addition to seeing best practices, we have now 12 best practices documented there that customers can access. There's something called an economic value creator, which is responding to CIOs and, and IT people saying, can you help me learn how to build a business case? And so we've just built this right into our into our. Uh, into our, uh, our website and platform. So I'd say we're still in the relatively early days of our ability to systematically do it with the kind of rigor and consistency that I think we think we can get to, but we're not, we're very confident of the underlying value creation. Right. Yeah. And I'll just, you know, you mentioned ITOM, for example. I mean, whether you look at DevOps or a traditional IT infrastructure in a traditional enterprise, simple things like outages, and what they have to do in minimizing those outages via visibility, health, controls, because you could have an outage in public cloud. You still need to patch security in a public cloud or your private cloud. So we have multiple measures on how we can minimize outages, give you proactive alerts and things of that nature, and have value calculators on CSM, you said. Uh, best measure for that is customer NPS, or customer net promoter score. And we have, like John said, provided those calculators that you will see 5 to 10 to 12 points improvement in customer net promoter score because proactive customer support working with engineering in a financial service industry or a tech industry is where our product is very focused on. So some of those new products in certain industries would give you a really great ROI, and that's why Dave's team is also very specific, like HR, we can go to any industry, HR products, because you know we do case management, knowledge management. But something like CSM or customer service management, we are very focused on certain verticals. 
Okay, one more question. Who wants the last question? <laughs> I'm going to give it to Justin. You can have the last question. Thank you. Um, Justin Furby with William Blair. I guess I wanted to ask either John or CJ around the um, ISV third-party developer ecosystem. I think three or four years ago you started talking about that more, and it feels like it's still sort of a rounding error in terms of size for you guys. So I'm wondering if you could comment on um, John, your, your sort of your view on that and how important it is to get to the $10 billion level and, and any incremental data points on success that, that you've seen there. Thanks. You know, it's just another one of those areas where expanding our bandwidth. When I talk about expanding our innovation and investment bandwidth, that would be a great area. And we've got strong leadership of Avanish in that. We got our first million-dollar-plus deal with Novalo um, uh, last quarter. And so I think it's it's – that's what's so, so, I think, wonderful about this company is on so many vectors, we're still in our infancy. And so um, the, the, um, we're getting more organized around it. I think there's interest. Um, we're working on making it even easier to build on top of our, our platform on, on Wednesday. It's Wednesday, Pat Casey's uh, today's no, – no, I'm sorry, Thursday morning. Yeah. There's, a, there's a Pat Casey's going to lead a major keynote session that will include all the areas that CJ showed earlier about where you can build on our platform, including being outsiders. And so clearly it's a big part of Salesforce's business, and we hope it can grow and be a big part of ours. Yeah. And I'll just add to John. So one of the things, you know, we started talking about it. I 100% agree that we are in early stages. The feedback we got, whether it's our ISVs, citizen developers, and others, we had some work to do. So, for example, mobile. Mobile was seen as a critical piece, and if you can give great mobile experiences without having to use many days and many person months to create mobile apps, providing them with all kinds of tools to deliver a low-code, no-code environment for people to build apps. So we have just started doing that, and you will see all of that in our uh, later part of Phase 3 and Phase 4 starting to materialize. So we had a bunch of work to do in my own team in products and platform for us to give permission for our ISVs, OEMs, and developers to build on us. Also, it helps that they've heard of us, so our brand doesn't hurt <laughs> elevating our brand. Yeah, and I was just at, um, so last week I was traveling and I saw Navolo's, it's actually a joint, we started off as an ITSM customer, and then Navolo came in with the facilities um, at, this, at this organization. And I would say the opportunity to move that broader from that customer that was, you, you know, in the first one to probably hundreds or thousands of them is significant. So I just see huge scale on that use case that they described, and I'm quite excited to help that company get to market with it because it helps us um, win and be very sticky on other areas as well. So our sales organization is seeing the, the pattern match and is really lighting up um, in supporting of those partners, which is something that didn't exist a year, year and a half ago because we didn't have the kind of wins that we're having now. So look, just just to wrap up, maybe one one comment I'd make and wrap up. I hope I hope you've got a chance to see today how we see our opportunity in our future. We're optimistic about it. I hope you see. I think we have such a tremendously strong team that's operating as a team, and I'm so appreciative of having my colleagues on the stage and in the audience. Um, and uh, you can count on us trying to focus on these opportunities and execute, continue to be a really strong execution company. 
one of the things that I think great companies do is they, they have big ears in addition to having a mouth. In fact, their ears are bigger than their mouths. <laughs> so we try to have big ears with our customers, but we also want to have big ears from you. My experience in my prior life is I learned a lot from really smart investors or smart analysts. So as you see things out there that you think we should be paying attention to, if you hear things from customers, if you think they're competitors we should be focused on, let us know. You know, we're one of the great things about this company. It's a learning, evolving organization, and it's an organization that wants to learn and evolve. And so we'll continue to try to communicate to you as transparently as we can, but we're wide open to hearing from you at various times. Call Mike, call me, call Dave, call CJ, and uh, if you see things that you think will help us be better. So thanks very much for coming, and uh, hope for those of you that are staying will enjoy the uh, rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Nice job. Nice job. Thanks, sir. Shoes. Yeah, yeah.